Mr. Chair, the room is ready and we have quorum. Great, thank you. Um, Luke Sinclair, Chair, um, welcome everybody to uh, the Monday, April 25th, 2022 meeting of the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. Um, we have some uh, sort of housekeeping items that we're gonna go through, but first I need to turn it over to uh, Becky Pepper to read um, some of the rules of this meeting. Thank you very much. My name is Becky Pepper, Planning Manager. Joining me here in the City Commission Room is Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director, and Kyle Kobe, who will be helping to facilitate the Zoom portion of this meeting. And we'll work alongside the Chair, who is on video remote, to facilitate the meeting proceedings. So as stated, I have just a few housekeeping items for this meeting. The meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the City's YouTube channel and Cable Channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to the Zoom facilitator. Unless you're participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This will allow the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. And when you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat to the Zoom facilitator. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual screens off to minimize distractions during the meeting. So now I'll turn it back over to the chair. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. Um, it looks like we don't have any uh, general meeting items, so we'll, we'll uh, just go right to the uh, minutes. We have some minutes from our March uh, meetings, the 21st and 23rd of this year. Um, does anybody have any changes they wish to make to that, or can we have a motion to approve them? Commissioner Rexroad, is that a motion to approve? Motion to approve. So moved. Okay, thank you. Uh, how about a second? Uh, thanks, Commissioner uh, Shanklin. I saw your hand go up. Jeff, can you read the roll? Certainly. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes six to zero. Great, thank you. Uh, next up is committee reports. Are there any commissioners that wish to um, report from any committees that they've participated in over the last month? Go ahead, Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. The LISA subcommittee uh, has not had not met for most of the duration of the time we were working on the solar regs, uh, but we've started kind of uh, getting back in touch with each other and filling out positions. So I think we will have something to report at our next meeting. Great, thank you. Uh, anybody else? Go ahead, Commissioner Carpenter. Uh, the solar regulations um, approved by the Planning Commission 10-0 last month were approved by the County Commission uh, last Wednesday night. They still have one more meeting uh, where they actually have to vote on the actual resolution to adopt them. So we're just one step away, I think, from having those in place. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. And as I understand it, uh, those were approved sort of as as they were sent to them, or, or were there any substantive changes that were being suggested? Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission, one small change that Commissioner Willie caught 
with regard to grading um, somehow through all the versions what uh, we had recommended was five percent only five percent of the entire site area could be graded what ended up at the county commission and that that version of the document said five percent of certain types of soils so now it's back to five percent of the entire site area so that was the only modification that was made at the meeting and that was one like i said brought up by commissioner willie great thank you um go ahead commissioner willie sorry and willie planning commissioner there was no change in the text just a change in the numbering of the items that changed the meaning somewhat but there was no change to the actual text that was approved by the planning commission very good thank you um, any other reports from any commissioners? Okay. Uh, and just in case any commissioners missed it, the, the rules of the Zoom call don't actually require us to say our names first anymore. If, if it's an old habit that you don't want to get rid of, that's okay, but I just <laughs> pointing that out. Uh, <laughs> um, so we'll move on then to the communications. Um, the first would be uh, whether are there are any written communications that we need to receive from the public, Jeff. All communications were uh, we received were included as part of your packet this evening. Okay. How about any um, written communications from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners? Uh, none this evening. <clears throat> are there any um, written actions of any waiver requests or determinations from the city engineer to receive? Uh, also, also none. Okay. Um, do any commissioners have any ex parte communications they need to disclose? Go ahead, Commissioner Willie. I have an item for number four, which is the um, conditional use permit for equipment storage. I had a, a conversation with a near neighbor to that property who had uh, no difficulties with the use in any of its forms and felt that the uh, road palliative was too much to ask. Very good, thank you. Um, Commissioner Rexroad, go ahead. Thanks, Commissioner Rexroad. Um, I, during a site visit today um, with the first item on the uh, conditional use permit, I ran into the uh, property owner, Jessica Tyler, um, who graciously uh, showed me around their place and their operation and the plans that they have uh, should this uh, item pass. Nothing substantive uh, to add, certainly no changes uh, different in the staff report. And if anything comes up as we have our discussion, I'll make sure and bring it up. Great, thank you. Anybody else have any ex parte communications to disclose now? Okay, not seeing any, we'll um, move on to uh, see if there are any commissioners that need to um, abstain from any specific agenda items tonight. No? Good, because we don't, there aren't many of us tonight. Uh, okay, now is the part of the meeting where we open it up to general public comment. If there are people in the hearing room there or on the Zoom call um, that want to offer comment unrelated to anything that's actually on our agenda tonight. Um, if you're here for some for one of the items on the agenda, you'll have an opportunity to make comments at that time. But this is for any other general public comment. Uh, please approach the podium in the room there or raise your hand on the Zoom call and we'll um, recognize you and give you a chance to um, talk. Hi, Kobe with planning. I can confirm there's nobody in the room. 
uh, to provide general public comment. As of right now, I don't see any hands going up on Zoom either. Okay, thank you. Uh, then I'll go ahead and close public comment. Um, the last item in communications is um, the uh, Transportation 2040 Amendment 2 that we're to receive. And I think we're just receiving that. Um, or Jeff, is there anything that you need to go over about that? No, Mr. Chair, just, just for the commission's awareness and, and knowledge of it, it was just an amendment to transportation 2040 that related to a couple of the projects there that you, you see in the list, but um, no motion or action is required. It's just for informational purposes. Very good. Um, did any commissioners have anything they wanted to say about that before we move on to the regular agenda items? Okay. All right, then we will... Um, move on to our first one. So for that, uh, I will recess the, the meeting of the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission and convene a joint meeting with the Baldwin City Plan Planning Commission to consider the first one. Um, and that is to consider approving a conditional use permit, CUP 2100331 for a small scale industrial use on approximately 2.6 acres located at 1889 North two, um, 201 Diagonal Road. Baldwin City. Um, and I guess before before staff makes a um, the uh, presentation, Jeff, do, do we need to call to see if there are any commissioners from Baldwin City on here? Or do we do that once we're into the discussion portion? Uh, we, we can go ahead and make a call just to confirm on that. Um, yeah. If we can confirm, there is no one in the room this evening with us. And I'm uh, not, I believe there's no one on the call, but just okay. to double check. Okay, great. Yeah, if, if anybody is on the call um, from the Baldwin City Planning Commission, would you mind uh, letting us know? Um, it doesn't seem like we have any commissioners uh, joining us from that commission. Okay, well then we'll just proceed um, with those of us that are here. And so, uh, then planning staff will uh, make the presentation first. Um, and after that, the applicant will have an opportunity to, to, um, to present for 10 minutes if they'd like, um, after which there'd be public comment and, uh, and an opportunity for the applicant to respond to that if so desired. So I'm, with that, then I'll turn it over to uh, Mary Miller from staff. Thank you, good evening commissioners. Mary Miller, city county planner. I'll be sharing my screen here. And as you mentioned, this is a conditional use permit for a small scale industrial use. And the specific use um, that's being proposed is a food truck preparation station. It's at uh, proposed at 1889 North 201 Diagonal Road. Uh, the property is just east of uh, Baldwin City. It's at the intersection of North 201 Diagonal Road, which is Highway 56, and North 200 Road. It's that small triangular piece there. Um, the Baldwin City Planning Commission was notified of the meeting. We contact the uh, Baldwin City Development Director. He's our li liaison with the Planning Commission. And they gave us an email on 421 noting they had no concerns with the project and they were not planning on attending. The property is a... Um, oddly shaped parcel. It's a triangular piece. As I mentioned, it's at the intersection of Highway 56 
and North 200 Road. A little background on this, the um, Tyler's own Flatlanders Pizza in Baldwin City, and they operated that um, during the pandemic, they began using their food truck more and more. And now they intend to focus, I believe, solely on the food truck. And what they need is a place to do the preparation work, the preparation before and then the cleanup afterwards. They did work with zoning and codes to see if this could qualify as a home occupation. Um, but the way our home occupation regulations are written, if you are a type, they're both, um, we have two types, type one and two. They're both processed administratively. If you're a type one, you have to be entirely within a residence. If you uh, have any of the activity in an accessory structure, you are a type two. And in a type two, um, you can have up to 3,600 square foot accessory building. But regardless of the size of your accessory building, you have to have a minimum of five acres. They don't have the five acres, so they could not go the home occupation route. Otherwise, that's the route they would have taken. And so we're going through the small scale industrial CUP. Uh, this graphic shows where they plan their activities. Um, item one is the garage on the property. There is a cooler in the garage, and that's where they'll keep their ingredients. Um, item number two is an existing gardens to shed, and that's where their kneading machine will be, where they'll knead their dough. Three is where a, a new shed is proposed, and that may be on site now, I'm, I'm not sure, but they propose a 10 by 12 foot um, square foot building, and that will be the washing area. And then item four is where a carport will be installed uh, for the food truck. The proposed use is very small scale and low intensity, and um, it really won't change the residential character of this property. Um, they'll be using existing structures and, and just residential scale or type of structures for what they want to do. Uh, they don't currently have any employees, but they would like to keep the option open. And so they may want one employee in the future. There would be no customers coming to the site and then they would have limited deliveries. Uh, they indicated they usually pick up what they want, but they could have deliveries. It just, it would be fairly limited. This is an unusual piece of property due to its shape. It's located along Highway 56 to the north, which has a building setback requirement of 150 feet from the property line. And you can see that shown here with this red line. So everything to the north of this is a setback for the highway. And then North 200 Road to the south is a minor collector, and it has a 75-foot setback, and uh, that's a setback from that road. So there is not one inch of property that's outside of the setbacks. So the existing structures are not conforming in that they were legally installed. Uh, they just no longer comply with the setbacks due to changes in, in regulations. So they can remain, but any new structures need to have a variance. And so they have submitted an application for a variance and that's going to be uh, considered at the next BZA meeting. The CUP um, is not totally contingent on the variance. It would just affect um, whether or not they could have the new accessory building. And we'll discuss that a little bit more in just a moment. So we go through the review criteria that we always look at for conditional use permits. Uh, first, is the use compatible with the zoning and land use in the area? Um, the zoning in the area is primarily Ag 1, agricultural and Ag 2, transitional agriculture. And the land uses are primarily single family and agricultural. And as this use is really not going to constitute much of a change, it's just an addition to a residential use, it would be seen as compatible with the existing zoning and land uses. We always look at what impact a new use would have on the character of the area. And within this red dash line, that's the area that I've defined for the purpose of reviewing this. 
Um, there are portions of Baldwin City in this area. Um, to the northwest of the subject property, we have areas in red, that's commercially zoned within Baldwin City, and purple is industrially zoned. And um, most of this is developed with um, implement or equipment sales and repair services. And then down to the southwest, we have a golden area that's zoned residentially, but it's developed with a city park. <clears throat> Other land uses in the area are agriculture, stream corridors, woodland, and rural residences. And so this proposed small scale low intensity use would not impact the character of the area. Other things we look at is what is the suitability of the property for uses to which it's restricted. And due to the uh, fact that the property um, contains about 2.6 acres and has been developed as a structure since 1950 at least, uh, the property is well suited to the existing residential use and the proposed small scale industrial use. Uh, what is the impact on the natural environment? Uh, there are some steep slopes on the very west side of the property where nothing is being proposed. And then there is some prime farmland on the very east side, the very narrow side of the property. No changes are being proposed in those areas. So there should be no impact on the natural environment. <laughs> we wanna look at what is the impact on community facilities, transportation networks, or utilities. Uh, the property is served by Baldwin City Water um, the transportation network, as I mentioned, they may have one employee in the future. They'll have no customers and limited deliveries. So the highway access, you know, the, the highway is intended for traffic. So they should be able to handle the very small traffic that would be generated by this use. And then we look at, is it conforming with the recommendations in plan 2040? And as always, one of the principal recommendations is that we minimize the conversion of agricultural to non-agricultural land, and that's not occurring here. Another recommendation is to encourage and support entrepreneurs and home-based businesses, and this CUP would be encouraging that and supporting that. And then we look at, is the uh, proposed, the development that's being proposed, compliant with the zoning regulations? And um, this is compliant with the zoning regulations with the exception of the setbacks. And as I noted, a uh, variance is required to place a new structure on the property. And so as it goes through the uh, variance process, if the Board of Zoning Appeals approves it, they can put their structure where they want. Uh, if they approve it, but they put conditions and they want it in specific locations, they would have to revise the plans to show that new location. And if the BZA would deny the variance request, um, they would just have to have the war station in an already existing accessory structure and could not install the new structure. As far as a time limit, given the very small scale and low intensity of the use, um, in staff's opinion, it's not appropriate to place a time limit on it. It should be very compatible as the area develops. And so staff's recommendation is to forward the conditional use permit to the Board of County Commissioners with a recommendation for approval subject to the conditions listed in the staff report and based on the findings presented in the report. And so those conditions, uh, the first one is just a condition to ensure that the prep station remains small scale. And um, so the conditions are that it shall be used only for the property owner's food truck and no more than one employee and no customers shall come to the site. And the second condition is just what I mentioned regarding the variance. You know, they have to comply with the variance. If the variance requires the structure be moved, the plans have to be revised if it's denied the accessory structure just couldn't be used. And so that concludes my presentation and I, I believe the applicant is present today. Thank you, Mary. Um, Brad or Jessica, Tyler, are, are you on the call?
or any representatives of the Tylers? Okay. I don't think we have them with us at this point, as far as I can tell. Am I missing any, Kyle? I'm not seeing anybody that, that yeah. you aren't. Okay. Um, is there any uh, member of the public on the call that um, is here to make comments on this particular um, application? If you are, uh, raise your hand on the Zoom call um, or step to the podium if you showed up there. Nobody in the room to speak on this item, and I don't see any hands going up on Zoom either. Okay. Well, I'll bring it back to the commission, then we can discuss. And if for some reason the Tylers pop on here, uh, maybe we can accommodate them when they when they show up. But otherwise, let's just go ahead and um, discuss it amongst ourselves. Uh, does any commissioner have any questions um, that they'd like to ask or comments? Go ahead, Commissioner Rexford. Thanks. Um, I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, had an opportunity to uh, walk around with the applicant, uh, look at their operation. I have to say, on this, it's, I guess it's kind of cool that it's a little tice, pie-shaped piece of uh, property that they're on, and these folks are all about the pie. Um, the work that they're doing out there is really pretty remarkable. Um, the, the the efficiencies that they're trying to gain to give some uh, additional foundation and opportunity for a financial success to this little business was pretty impressive. Um, uh, everything I saw there looked to me to be an improvement to that little corner. Um, I take the house, for example, that had been kind of a dilapidated cinder block house is now a very nice stone home. Um, the uh, additions that they've made in terms of the structures, and they, they did have that new shed there. It was empty at that point, hadn't been plumbed in. I think they need to wait for all the permissions before they can take those steps. But all those pieces are in place, I think, and, and just uh, waiting for the approvals. Uh, they still have a various requests that they need to get through. Um, but uh, assuming that goes through, um, I think this honestly from my perspective uh, is a pretty good use of that uh, little piece of ground i'll be supporting it thank you commissioner rexford go ahead commissioner willie first of all flatlanders makes great pizza and they also buy local veg from local farmers so that's pretty cool too um, but my questions are for mary uh, and that is are there, what are the differences in either cost to the applicant or any hardship uh, or any differences in process between uh, this being processed as a home business, which it couldn't because of the acreage size versus the uh, small industrial use? Is there any difference to them? Um, Mary Miller, I guess I don't have to say that anymore. Um, the difference, one of the differences is it's a more public process going through the CUP. Um, the other is, you know, we're recommending no time limit. So with a home occupation, they would have to keep renewing that. I believe it's annually or every other year. And this way, once it's in, it's in. They have that. It's a complete approval. So it's more process. I think the costs are pretty similar. And um, I don't deal with the home occupations much, so I don't actually know what they charge. I know it's just $100 for a CP, and they do their own plans. So primarily, they're out the time frame of the process. But the benefit to them would be that they would not have to keep renewing it. Luke Sinclair Chair, uh, any other questions from the commission? 
Go ahead, Commissioner Carpenter. Uh, I have one process question for Mary and one technical question. Um, why is the variance going to the county um, Board of Zoning Appeals and why not just bring it to us? And because it's a variance from the uh, zoning regulations as far as the setback, it's not a condition of the CUP necessarily. I mean, there is a condition that they comply with the regulations. That would be a pretty broad variance to, to come from and say they just don't need to comply. And this will resolve all their setback problems. You know, if they get a variance, their all their buildings will not be non-conforming. They'll have a variance and they'll they'll be able to be where they are. They won't have that non-conforming status anymore. So um it's kind of an existing condition they're trying to get resolved. Thanks. Uh, and the other one is just a little technical. Since the staff request is no time limit on the CUP, should that be included in the motion that we have no time limit on it? It could be. You know, um, time limits aren't always required. It might be a good point of clarification if you want to add that they're, it's granted without a time frame. Okay. And we have a, a one of the ones later down the agenda also says that it won't transfer to a new owner. Was that discussed with this particular application at all? No, no. We usually see CUPs running with the land. We don't usually assign them to a property owner. We usually assign them to the property. So regardless, if they sold the land and another food truck operator wanted to come in and, and do the prep work in these buildings, it would still be acceptable. Thanks. Anyone else? I, I guess I would just add that sometimes we look to see um, what other things could happen with whatever we're, um, you know, whatever application we're granting. But in looking at the uh, definition of small scale industrial uses in the county zoning regs, it seems pretty well tailored to um, control for, you know, something th that you wouldn't want to see going in there. Um, so I, I too, um, joining with the other commissioners who've spoken positively about this, have, have no real concerns. And I, I think it seems um, uh, like a good application. Um, if any, Unless anyone has anything to say, we could take a motion or Commissioner Rexroad, you can go ahead. Yeah, if we're ready. Um, I'd uh, make a motion that um, we uh, forward CUP-21-00331 to the County Commission with recommendation to approve without time limit and with the conditions as stated in the staff report. Thank you, Commissioner Rexroad. So motion to approve. Um, noting that there's no time limit and subject to the conditions in the staff report. Is there a second? I'll second. I'm going to give it to Commissioner Shanklin since he actually said words. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, great. Um, Jeff, could you go ahead and read the role on that one? Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes six to zero. Very good. Thank you. Um, 
then we will adjourn the joint meeting with the Baldwin City Planning Commission and reconvene um, the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission meeting and move on to item number two, <clears throat> which is to consider approving a request to rezone ZZ2200060, approximately 10.07 acres located at 1166 North One Road from AG1 to AG2. Uh, district. And I think we have Mary Miller to present on this one too. Yes, thank you. And I'll share my screen real quickly. Uh, thank you, Commissioners. Um, this is a rezoning request from the Agricultural District to the Transitional Agricultural District for approximately 10 acres at 1166 North One Road. And this, um, the subject property is shown in black here on this uh, graphic. The area outlined in blue is the parent parcel. It's approximately 79 acres. And of that, approximately 10 acres are being requested for rezoning. It's on the very Southern boundary of um, Douglas County. So property owners within Franklin County within one half mile were notified by mail. And we also notified the Franklin County Planning Office um, who did not have any comments on the request. This is the subject property. It's currently developed with a residence, uh, an access drive, um, some residential outbuildings, a large pond, and then some agricultural outbuildings. The proposal is to divide off about 10 acres from the, that contains the residence and residential structures and a portion of the pond um, in order to divide it through the homestead exemption survey. And they want to divide this residential portion from this property. And that is possible in two ways. One, it'd be possible to do it without a rezoning. That would be through the agricultural subdivision boundary survey. They can divide down to 20 acres. So they could divide this piece of property into three pieces, as long as none of them were under 20 acres. They could then divide off the 10 acres they want from that one 20 acre parcel um, and the remaining 10 acres would have an agricultural natural resource preservation agreement on it, which means it cannot be developed. So it would be kind of an orphan parcel. The other option is to rezone this piece to Ag 2 so it can be divided to the Homestead Exemption Survey. And in the staff report, um, these two exemptions are kind of described and explained. The Homestead Exemption only works if you have a home that was on the site prior to the adoption of the subregs at the end of 2006. And so, and with both of them, you have to have the required amount of road frontage in order to make your original division. So this is an example of how the land could be divided as it is currently zoned. We would end up with four parcels. Three of them would be eligible for building permits, permits and there would be one orphaned parcel in the north that could stay under separate ownership or it could be sold to any of the adjacent landowners. This is a land division that would be possible with the proposed zoning. You would still have the 10 acre parcel, uh, but then you would have two contiguous uh, larger parcels remaining in the Ag 1 district. It would be a cleaner process without having any orphan parcels remaining. But the total number of building permits, either way would be three. There'd be no increase in the number of building permits possible with this proposed zoning. You would just have a kind of a cleaner result with only three parcels remaining. So as we look through the uh, review criteria, one of the things we look at is zoning and land use. The property is zoned Ag 1 
and it shows as use as agricultural. It does have a residence on it, and that circle is the, kind of the general area that's being proposed. In that circle, there is a residence. Once that's divided down to 10 acres through the agriculture, no, through the homestead exemption survey and the Ag2 zoning, um, it will actually show as Ag2 zoning. I believe even if it goes to the agricultural subdivision boundary survey, once a parcel is created that's 10 acres, it would show in the land use as single family residential, that the zoning wouldn't match. And so as this would not actually be creating a new building parcel, it would not be create, increasing the development potential of the area, um, it, it should be compatible with the appropriate, the current zoning and land uses in the area. The Ag 2 district um, is scattered throughout the rural area, and so is the Ag 1. They basically depend on the size of the parcels, so we don't always have contiguous areas of, um, of either zoning, although it is our goal to have Ag 1 as contiguous as possible. We look at the character of the area. The area has residences along the major roads. Um, it shows the residents in the subject property, and there would be no change to the number of residents as a result of rezoning. And if the land is divided, the number of new residences would not be increased because of the rezoning. So this would have no impact on the character of the area. Oops. Look, I missed something. I had a slide, I don't know where it went, but I'll go, because um, we always look at various things um, as well as the character of the area. One golden factor we look at is the evaluation of the suitability of the property for the uses to which it is restricted under the current zoning. In Ag 1 and Ag 2, the uses that are permitted are very similar. Ag 2 has a few more CUP uses because we don't want those uses on the Ag 1 property as we're trying to preserve agricultural land. Ag 2, since it's transitional agriculture, is seen as more appropriate for some of those CEP uses, but they both have limited uses. Now, the property containing the residence, the residential outbuildings, the access drive, and that portion of the pond is not well-suited for agriculture, but it is well-suited for residential uses permitted in either district. And the proposed rezoning is compliant with a comprehensive plan as it's not actually creating a change. We're not really converting agricultural land to non-agricultural uses. Um, we're basically dividing the land and then having the zoning match the use. Another thing that we look at with rezonings from Ag 1 to Ag 2 is, uh, or to any district actually, is the um, suitability of the property for agricultural uses. And to do that, uh, we usually use the LISA tool. We plan on using the LISA tool. Right now, we kind of go through a manual review of the factors to get an idea of the suitability of a property for agricultural uses. But as the LISA isn't uh, adopted yet, we don't really make a conclusion on it. It's just something that we're looking at as a practice kind of to evaluate the functioning of the LISA tool. And we do get a glimpse into the productivity because we just review some of those factors. And so in the attachment, there was a review with the LISA system. We reviewed the total property and that was just done for context. And we also reviewed the proposed nine acre or 10 acre parcel. Um, it contains class three soils on the west side of the property, which are classified as prime farmland. It is developed, you know, as I mentioned, with a house, a lawn, residential outbuildings, access drive, and a portion of a pond. And estimating the area that is developed and unavailable for agriculture, approximately four acres of productive or potentially productive agricultural land would be included in the rezoning. 
And so, as I mentioned, the LISA systems is not finalized, so we can't actually give a recommendation based on our findings. But um, tentatively, it appears that we would not be removing very much productive agricultural land with this rezoning out of the Ag District. And so staff does recommend forwarding the rezoning request to the Board of County Commissioners with a recommendation for approval based on the findings in the staff report. And the applicant is here today, and um, I'll be happy to answer any questions if you have any for me. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Um, I believe we have uh, Jesse Noel. Are you here for the applicant? Get unmuted. Yeah, I'm here with the applicants, Jim and Diane Meehal. So we're all three in one place here. Very good. Uh, if you guys wish, you could uh, take up to 10 minutes to offer any other comments or uh, presentation if you have any. Uh, we think uh, Mary Miller has summarized everything uh, to our satisfaction. We'd be happy to answer questions if any of you have any. Very good. I, I appreciate that. And, and we uh, we probably will. Um, then I, I guess I'll see if there's anybody from the public here on the call or in person that wants to offer any um, comments. If, you could, if you're on the Zoom call, turn your camera on and raise your hand so we can uh, recognize you. I'm not seeing there's any. no one. I can tell you there's no one in the room to speak on this, and I don't see anybody on Zoom either. Okay, great. Then I will um, bring it back to the commission um, so we can discuss. Uh, do any commissioners want to start off with any questions or comments for staff or the applicants? Go ahead, Commissioner Willie. I didn't have any difficulties with the application. I plan to vote in favor of it. It, it doesn't have a change in terms of how many developmental par developable par parcels that are here. And I think it um, is easy to go along with the request as presented. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Uh, do any commissioners disagree with Commissioner Willie's assessment? Go ahead, Commissioner Shanklin. I have a, a question or two for Mary Miller. Um, I, it, I guess my first question is with respect to the 10 acre parcel, um, the residual parcel, as you call it, um, it, it appears to me that that is supposed to be subject to a conservation agreement. And so um, to reduce this to the basics, it, it's, it looks like that's what we lose here by changing the zoning. Is that a correct statement? Um, would you say we also lose four acres of ag land? I'm, I'm just trying to get to what is the negative here? Why would we not approve this? Okay, thank you. Um, well, actually, if we did not do the rezoning and they divided to the agricultural subdivision boundary survey, they would have the 10 acres, that same four acres of ag land, would still be kept at the house. So that would be gone either way. And yes, if you did the agricultural subdivision boundary survey, that Northern orphan piece would have that protection agreement on it. Otherwise you're gonna have two 35 acre parcels 
that um, have, could be developed at the residence. And uh, if someone wanted to put an outbuilding in that location, they could. So it would be treated as any other ag land. It, it'll be one will be, a, I think they're proposing 34 acres and one 35, I may have them wrong, but they're both over 30 acres. So they would be treated as any other ag land. They could have ag buildings on them. They could build with a home. Anything else would require a CUP if they wanted to put a event center or anything. So that would all have to come back before the commission. So, so then would it be safe to summarize that what the county loses in approving this is the conservation agreement on 10 acres? Yes. And in return for that, they don't have the orphan parcel. So it's kind of a trade-off. I'm sorry, they don't have what? The orphan, the remnant parcel, that little piece, ah. it doesn't have any road frontage and it can easily get lost. It has to remain a separate parcel. So someone would have to own their parcel plus that, which is not a problem, but that's just kind of a trade-off. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. Any other commissioners with questions? Uh, Commissioner Shanklin, did that um, answer give you any pause um, or do you have any concerns other than that? Uh, none other than the, the loss of the ag easement, and I, I do, I guess the, the pause that it gives me is um, why do we have that written into our code if we're not going to enforce it? And in most cases, we do enforce it. It's just in this case, there's already an existing home. So the homestead exemption survey would work and would provide a cleaner land division, but we totally do enforce those. We have those on several properties, for instance, if it divided with the other two properties being divided out, you know, we went through the ag subdivision, each one of those could do that land division. Even as we do it now with the homestead exemption, we have the 235 acre parcels. If they wanted to sell a three acre parcel out of either one of those, they could and put the agricultural natural resource preservation agreement on the remainders. So we do use those quite a bit and they do protect the land. It, it allows us to have some divisions in the Ag One district without increasing the density. So it's a very useful tool and it does get used quite a bit. Thanks, that's helpful. Thanks for that. Um, anybody else? Uh, if you, I guess if we have concerns, raise them or if, if we don't have any other comments or questions, I suppose we could entertain a motion. Go ahead, Commissioner Willie. I move to approve uh, the zoning request 22-60, uh, moving 10 acres, 10.07 acres from AG1 to AG2, and forwarding that to the Board of County Commissioners with a recommendation for approval. Thanks, Commissioner Willie. It's a motion to approve the rezoning request and um, send it on to the Board of County Commissioners with that recommendation. How about a second? Commissioner Rexrod, thank you for that. Um, does anybody want to add anything else before we vote on that? No? Okay. Jeff, can you read the roll, please? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. 
Motion passes six to zero. Okay. Thank you. Best of luck to the applicants. Um, we'll move on to item three then. <clears throat> and that's to consider approving a conditional use permit, CUP 2200054 for a vacation rental use located at 1269 North 870 Road. Um, and I think we have Kyle Kobe to present on this one. Thank you very much, uh, Kyle Kobe with planning. So as you just said, this conditional use permit application proposes a vacation rental use at 1269 North 870 Road. The subject property is zoned CP Cluster Preservation District, and the existing use of the property is detached dwelling, uh, as are all the surrounding properties. No physical changes to the property are proposed with this application. The existing structure complies with setback standards. Parking requirements for vacation rental uses is two parking spaces per dwelling unit. Since there's only one dwelling unit, the parking requirement is two spaces and sufficient parking is available on the site. Subject property is screened to the northeast and west by existing vegetation. While there's not much screening between the subject property and the property directly to the west, the applicants for this conditional use permit are also the owners of that abutting property, and that is their primary residence. Planning staff's recommending approval of CUP 22-00054 to allow vacation rental use uh, at this property based on findings of fact found in the body of the staff report. Uh, as you can see, there are several recommended conditions of approval. Douglas County Zoning and Code staff is here to help answer any questions you may have about those proposed conditions. Um, this concludes my presentation. Um, I will turn it over to Carl um, if he has any remarks um, regarding that. And I have seen that the applicant is here tonight as well. Yes, thank you for that, Kyle. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Carl Bauer. I'm the new planner over at Douglas County Zoning and Codes. And uh, we did have a few concerns with this request and with uh, vacation rentals in general. So I have a presentation prepared that I'd like to go through quickly. <clears throat> All right. So first for a little background, um, vacation rentals in the unincorporated area in general um, will require CUP or a rezone to rural tourism. So that's what uh, this applicant is doing. They're applying for a conditional use permit, but the conditional use permit request before you is for a vacation rental taking up an entire house. And that's the first time this has ever happened. There have been two approved in the past, but those have both been for part of a house. The county does not have any specific vacation rental standards with the exception of them requiring um, a CUP or a rezone. So county staff is recommending conditions in lieu of such standards until those standards can be adopted in the form of a text amendment. So those standards are pending and um, most communities that have vacation rental standards in place have an administrative registration and approval process. They typically wouldn't have to go through a public process like this. So we are anticipating several other applications. Zoning code staff is aware of at least 18 unpermitted vacation rentals operating in the unincorporated area. And 14 of those are for an entire dwelling. All of those are potentially subject to a code enforcement action. But before we act on that, we'd like to have a good set of conditions and precedent before taking action. And we'd like to obtain some governing body feedback from all of you. So those two that have been permitted so far have each just been for part of a house. So as these applications come in, ideally we would like to take these conditions and apply them evenly 
across all the other applications that are coming in in the interest of being fair and being consistent. But when it comes to this specific application from the MOTS, we really aren't anticipating very many negative impacts, really quite minimal because of the unique situation, because they live next door. Um, as you see here, the satellite image, the property outlined here is where the vacation rental will take place. And then the applicants live immediately to the west. So they will be able to keep an eye on it. They will be able to screen guests. We're not anticipating very many minimal or very many negative impacts from this. So I'll go through each of the uh, conditions that I have um, listed in the staff report. So I have those in italics, and then I'm explaining our reasoning behind those below. So first, we're limiting the maximum occupancy to two guests per bedroom. This is based off of a concern over septic capacity. We don't want more than that all taking a shower at the same time. That could lead to a whole host of issues. And this is also to ensure that uh, the property isn't overloaded. We're not using this property for parties or weddings and special events. We understand that that's totally not the intent of, um, of the applicant, but we'd like to have that in there for future properties. So if there were to be parties or weddings or other special events, that would require an event center CUP, and that has a whole host of different conditions that are applied, and it would be reviewed differently. We also want to see a refuse disposal plan that uh, indicates when items are being picked up. This is to ensure that trash is being picked up regularly, and it's not sitting by the street for extended periods of time. As far as density and ownership, we want to limit the applicant to only applying for one CUP for a um, vacation rental within the unincorporated area. And this is in an effort to conserve housing stock. This isn't a major concern in Douglas County because we're not a major tourist destination. Um, but as more of these come in, it may become more of a concern. There are a lot of controversies in other places around the country and around the world about vacation rentals causing housing shortages, rent increases, as well as changing the character of neighborhoods. So there are places, especially in major cities in Europe, where uh, many of the apartments and houses have turned into vacation rentals. Um, Durango, Colorado has density caps in certain neighborhoods. They have a waiting list that's 20 people long for people wanting to apply to get a vacation rental license within the city. Colorado Springs bans non-owner occupied units or an entire house within 500 feet of each other. So there are a variety of options for enforcing this. Um, but in our case, we're recommending that only one per person. Most communities require a property manager or some kind of contact person for uh, a short-term rental or a vacation rental. So our requirements here are that they're available 24-7 while the property is being rented. Their contact information is sent out to neighboring property owners so they can be contacted in the event of an emergency or if the guests are being disruptive. The property owner has to be available by phone if uh, we need to reach them. They have to notify zoning and codes of any changes in contact information, and they can't transfer this CUP to um, anybody else. It would stick with the ownership of the property. 
So um, just justifying this, there are some other communities out there that have similar regulations. Flathead County, Montana, which is the county on the west side of Glacier National Park, and it includes Kalispell um, and Whitefish, they require that the contact information for the property owner be sent by certified mail to all property owners within 150 feet. In the city of Missoula, they require property owners um, that are adjacent to uh, the property to receive notice, and uh, that's once per year as well. And some require the, that the uh, property manager lives locally. We're not concerned about this in this case because they live next door. But Two Harbors, Minnesota, which is a resort community on Lake Superior, they require um, that uh, the property manager lives within 30 miles. Inspections and safety. We're requiring that a building permit be obtained for the change in use. That's in order for um, our building inspectors to be able to look at the property and make sure it's up to code. This is also a request from uh, the county building official. And inside the vacation rental unit, we're asking that uh, they post certain information, like an emergency evacuation route, the maximum number of occupancy, excuse me, the maximum occupancy, uh, rules about trash removal, how many vehicles can be parked on the property, and uh, that they can't be parked on the street, the name and phone number of the property manager, where the fire extinguishers and carbon monoxide um, detectors are. And then the last thing is something that you don't often think about when it comes to short-term rentals, but short-term rentals may be more susceptible to this than other overnight stays, and that's human trafficking. So this short-term rental, we aren't anticipating this type of thing because it will be monitored. The property manager is living next door. But um, if you think about some of the negative impacts of hotels and you plop that into a neighborhood, that's our concern here. So um, the Kansas Attorney General has a poster that uh, we would like that uh, is included um, somewhere on the property, posted in the property. The applicant has said they intend to have a welcome book. So posting it in that welcome book would suffice. Most communities require that sales tax and lodging taxes are paid. So that's what that next condition is for. Um, and also uh, if uh, they're listing this on Airbnb or certain other websites, they take care of the sales tax. So if they're showing us that they're listed on Airbnb, that would uh, fulfill this condition. When uh, communities have these regulations, they tend to make it administrative and renew every year. So there's usually a fee that goes along that, usually between $100 and $200. And then finally, some other impacts. Um, if there are some negative impacts that we aren't anticipating, this can be brought back to the BOCC for further review. If uh, they're storing, rec they can't be storing recreational vehicles or campers and all public accommodations has to take place indoors. This is to ensure that we don't have a campground on the site. We want all lighting to be residential and neighbor in nature to ensure the residential character of the neighborhood. And we don't want a lot of noise. So we're um, putting in a stipulation that they have to um, adhere to uh, the, no the noise ordinance of the county. And you can see the language written there. Um, but some communities go further than that. 
um, Two Harbors, Minnesota, they ban outdoor noise heard by neighboring properties during quiet hours. So quiet hours may be something else to look at as well. So that is my presentation. Um, I'm available for any questions. You may choose to put some more strict requirements on this, um, or you may choose to waive some of these. I'm here and uh, I'm sure my colleagues are on here as well. They'll be able to answer any questions too. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. And thanks, Carl. And welcome. Um, so I guess we do maybe have the applicants here. Are Brian or Ashley Mott on the line? Yes, we're here. Hello. Hi. If you guys would like, you could take up to 10 minutes if you have any other, like a presentation of your own or other comments you'd like to add to what's been said already. Uh, yeah, so uh, I guess we were um, we were just wanting to uh, maybe discuss the um, a couple of the conditions. Um, we were, you know, the the first one we had, you know, the maximum occupancy. Um, they were setting two um, people per room, um, and you know, it's a it's a fairly large place, uh, and we were thinking, you know, that if there was uh, four couples and two of them had little kids that were in pack and plays, you know, that puts us at ten. So to, to limit it just to the, the eight kind of stops families from visiting with us, you know, and staying with us. Uh, yeah, I, you know, the odds of having 12 people book the house every single time and everybody trying to shower in the two bathrooms, you know, like it just seemed like it, it, it may be a little low. Um, it also, you know, potentially impacts income and, which you know brings me to the 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 next one, which was um, uh, the applicants shall not be granted conditional use permits um, of any other vacation rental within the incorporated area of Douglas County, and we suggested that if you are not a resident of Douglas County, you know, so if if we live here and you know we're we're in this community. Um, we could possibly own another one or maybe just limit it to three or something. But I feel like if we're in Douglas County, you know, it's, we've got skin in the game as well. Um, I could understand people that don't live here, you know, out of state investors that have millions of dollars that they're just going to buy up a, a bunch of property and they don't care what happens to them. Um, you know, that, that could be a problem. Um, is there any other ones that you want to talk about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was kind of the, the, the big ones that we that we had. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you. And if you would stay on, because I'm sure there may be questions for you from the commission. Um, I uh, with that, I'll open it up for public comments. Is there anybody in the in the room there or anybody on the line that wishes to offer comments on this particular item? There's nobody in the room, but I do see it looks like Judy Pope is uh, indicating to me I want to speak. Okay. Uh, Ms. Pope, could you turn your camera on? And, and then you've got three minutes um, to offer your comments. I don't need three minutes, but my only concern, I think this is a great idea for the Mots, but this is a wonderful neighborhood. And I would just hate to see this be a precedent where we are. Uh, we have lots of trees. You can't see different properties and so forth. 
uh, here, it's a wonderful area to be able to do that. But I would really be concerned if this is the beginning of what's going to happen to our neighborhood. Thank you, Ms. Pope. And would you mind stating your um, address for um, the record? 1295 North 873 Road. Thank you, Ms. Pope. Thank you. Is there anybody else um, from the public on the line that wishes to make comments on this item? Not, not seeing any. Um, so uh, uh, we have an opportunity then for the applicant, if you'd like to um, respond to the, the comments that were brought up by the public. So uh, if you want, you can go ahead. Yeah, so um, I you know, completely um, understand where she's coming from because um, I mean, we, we, this is, we live in our forever home. I mean, this is where you know, we wanna live. Um, we love the area. We love you know, Pleasant Grove Estates and we think it's a beautiful area. And that's part of the reason why, well, probably the main reason why we actually bought the property next to us is because it stares into our backyard and it's, I mean, it's, it's everybody that shows up asks us, you know, is that part of your house too? Cause it's so close. Um, you can't even tell, you know, they think that people drive, we share a driveway. It's so close. And uh, we, we want to make sure that, you know, we, I don't know the, maybe like, we just want to make sure that the house is kept in good working order um, that, you know, it's quiet, you know, just, we want to know who's there because of our little kids, you know, it's so, uh, you know, we, we kind of share her same concerns, you know, with, with future ones as well. Thank you, sir. Um, with that, I'll bring it back to the commission then, and we'll, uh, we'll have our discussion. Um, do any commissioners want to start off with any, with any questions or comments? Commissioner Butler, go ahead. I have a couple of questions. Thank you. Um, I understand the need for some regulations for these type of properties, but honestly, when I was reading through it, I thought some of them were a little ridiculous and I will tell you which ones as soon as I click back over. Um, and this is for staff, the maximum occupancy, where did you, where did you come up with the two guests per bedroom? Cause I think it is a valid question if you have several families that rent the place and they have children um i don't think that that should count against the occupancy requirements can you kind of enlighten us on what the thinking was limiting it to two per bedroom sure and we recognize that children may have different water needs and wastewater needs than full-grown adults so that is something that we're willing to um adjust that condition. We are overall just concerned about the maximum occupancy relating to uh, the septic system. So based on what you're telling me then, that recommendation was, I don't want to use the word arbitrary, but there wasn't it, a lot of thought. It's consistent given to with what some other counties have. And I see I Tony is on the line as well. And I understand. Oh, go ahead, Miss Boyd. 
Hi, Julia. This is Tanya Voigt, Zoning Director. Um, I did want to say that, um, so we work really closely with the health department and septic systems are designed. So the amount of lateral footage that you put um, with each rural home is dependent on how many bedrooms you have. And so they base not the number of lateral feet that you need in a septic system on the number of people that could occupy a home, but based on the bedrooms. And so what we wanted to ensure was just that the health department um, that that home served with the lateral you know, length that they need and the tank size that they need, that it could be served by the occupancy load that the MOTs were wishing for. Um, typically, they base that on two people per bedroom, the septic system. So I think if we revise that condition to make it something as simple as as long as the health department approves the lateral footage and if they need to increase the number of lateral feet to get the occupancy they want, that's great. Um, we just wanted to ensure that um, it was the occupancy load that they were wishing for with driving with what um, the system was originally designed for for that house. I think a lot of times in the city limits, we don't have to deal with that, but out in the county, it's super important that we do not overload the systems because it will back up into the house. So we just want to make sure the health department um, approves whatever occupancy load that they wish for. So to put that in layman terms so we can put it in the recommendation is that your the sentence would read something to the effect of as long as approved by the health department. Is that, would that be sufficient? Yep, that'd be great for us. Okay. And my second question is the, um, in number three, I assume that just means whatever, whenever the trash is picked up out in the county, that this address would have that same, um, I would assume that if they're picking it up next door where the Mots live, that the house that's next door to where they live would have be on that same schedule. So why would there need to be a separate plan um, submitted if that is the case? I mean, the plan can just be a one line response saying our trash is picked up on this day. And that's really all we're looking for. The main point of this condition is so that we're making sure that trash isn't sitting by the road for days and days. So that would kind of be the same as what is listed down in number nine, just that that be displayed, correct, right, as part of the that rules? Be, uh, displayed so the guests at the vacation rental will know where to put trash. That, that's the main concern there and know when okay. it's being taken out. And Mr. That's Bauer, I appreciate you answering my questions. I, I'm there's a lot of paper intensive um, requirements by the city and county that I think are just duplicative. So I'm just trying to create less plans and less paper than, than what I think is probably necessary. Um, Julia, that I think that our major point was just to ensure that trash is getting picked up because we do have rural residents that do not pay for trash service and they'll go dump it at the city in a high V parking lot in their trash. So we just want to make sure that they actually have trash service. And I, I understand that. And part of, I guess, getting people to come to your property and rent it would be that it's kept in a, um, a, a good condition and that there's not trash laying around. So um, as far as number six 
uh, goes is that is the inspection a once a year thing? Is it once every three years? Like how often would that building permit need to be obtained? Or is it just a one-time thing? A building permit would be a one-time thing. If we adopted regulations, that's something that we might look at as to having annual inspections or um, something more often, but we're not at that point yet. Okay. And Mr. Bauer, you said, um, as far as number seven goes, if someone was registered with Airbnb, that would fulfill that requirement. Is that correct? Yep. And so it wouldn't, would their certificate of occupants, will they still need to contact the Department of Revenue or is that just, they need to submit their If they show us that they're listed on Airbnb, that would fulfill that requirement. the main concern is that the sales tax is being paid. If they were just listing it on some other website or listing it on like Facebook marketplace or something as a place to stay, they might not be um, paying sales tax through that service. So the main point there is to ensure that they're paying sales tax and that's consistent with regulations in other communities. And so that would be something that would, is there like an information packet or something that would be, provided to individuals that would say, you know, in parentheses, Airbnb um, approval is sufficient or something that That's something that um, as an application comes in, we would work with the applicant on. Okay. Um, I think that's all I have. Thanks, Commissioner Butler. Um, Other questions from the commission? Commissioner Willie. I'll follow up on Commissioner Butler's comments and she tagged a lot of things that I would have flagged also. Uh, One is to a question for either Carl or Tanya. Have there been discussions yet with the health department on the difference in septic use between continual occupancy residents of a single family home versus an occasional occupancy for a, a vacation rental and and that impact on the septic system, because that might alleviate the concerns and leave a lot of capacity available for this kind of use. Is that that a conversation that's been had yet? Not yet. Okay. Yeah, so I'd I'd be very curious, uh, and I think we can just write it as was suggested that, you know, uh, contingent upon health department approval, but I think that they're, if they're willing to look at that at the actual functionality of the system in terms of how often it's being used under that um, use, I think that might live a, give us some leeway there. Um, about the trash pickup, um, it is true that there are some people in the county, including myself, that do not pay for trash pickup. We take responsibility for our trash. Everybody should try it sometime. Anyway, I want to make sure that it is sufficient that say if the MOTs have trash pickup at their residence, that it doesn't require that they also pay for trash pickup at the other place so long as they're just using it. I mean, it's, it's not going to be very much trash, presumably, for um, an occasional use, that, it, that that could be a, a sufficient plan rather than paying twice the price. Um, if, if, so I assume that if, um, 
if they're not using a company, you know, a, a big corporation to collect their taxes, that there's also a way that the county would accept to show that people are planning to pay their taxes. Um, I wouldn't want to only host small businesses that went through large corporations and not responsible people that took care of that on their own. So just to make sure that uh, there would be a sufficient plan for that also. Um, I imagine Commissioner Carpenter will address the non-transferable CUP, so I'll wait on that one. Um, there was, a, in the staff report, there was mention of requiring lighted exit signs, which is something that doesn't occur in most family homes already. And I've never seen in any um, vacation rental that I've been in outside of a, you know, a hotel where those signs are not in the rooms there at the actual exits themselves. Was that taken off? I didn't see it in the final conditions. Right, it's not in the conditions. I have since spoken with our building code official and she indicated that that won't be a requirement. Great, thank you. Um, the last one would be um, the condition about getting a building permit and coming and bringing the building up to code. That's not something that's done when um, a, a house changes hands. It's not something that we, we bring a full building permit just because it changed ownership and somebody new is living there. So I wanna make sure that we're not opening the door. You know, We have a use that's occurring in the county that's occurring you know, under the table. And we want people to then you know, come on board and register these so that uh, we have some regulations. So I wanna make sure that we're not asking for things that are opening a can of worms that people can't, um, can't pay for, can't fix, can't make it part of their business plan. So um, I think there needs to be a little bit more specificity to what is being expected out of the codes, you know, life safety, only kind of thing. Um, I think a building permit is probably the wrong path for that. And I think it gives the impression that the county has full jurisdiction to bring it up to a current code, which if the home was built more than like two years ago, it will not automatically be. So I think maybe a courtesy inspection, a courtesy code inspection, where you know safety issues Maybe, maybe serious safety issues are flagged to be fixed and the others are informational only uh, for people to be aware of. I just would be very cautious about opening up that level of um, just uh, county pressure on people that we want to register with their businesses. So that's all I have for the moment. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Uh, Commissioner Rexford, go ahead. Thanks. Um, just a, a question, I think, for staff. Um, um, talking about uh, that one condition on um, only being limited to uh, being able to own one of these types of properties. Um, I'm not sure I understand the logic behind that. Um, and I, I find myself wondering how this might be different from owning rental properties. Right, not vacation rentals, but just rental properties in general. Um, uh, it seems that uh, the more of those properties one um, manages, the uh, the better they they get at it. The, they can share resources across them. It, it makes for a better situation to run a business that way. So I'm having trouble understanding why we would, in the case of a vacation rental, say you can only do that one time. And if that's something that we're talking about doing across the board. 
the main concern there is uh, maintaining housing stock. So if this is rented on a month by month basis, that's providing housing to someone. But if this is a vacation rental, that's someone who's passing through here. Um, we want to make sure that properties, especially out in the county, are serving residents. That's the logic behind that. So is this is that rule? Thank you for that, Carl. Is this is that rule then? Is that a, is that a consistent rule across Douglas County, including inside Lawrence, that that only one one person can have only one of these types of properties? I can't really answer for um, what the requirements are within the city of Lawrence or within a, any of the other cities, um, but this is an idea that we've had, and it's something that we'd like to promote to make sure that housing stays housing. Sure. So appreciate that, Carl. So I guess I, my, my thought is that um, we should be careful about imposing something like that one off here. If it's not something that we plan on doing and we don't have written a code consistently across the business, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd suggest that we visit that as a separate topic as opposed to trying to begin a precedent in this one particular example. Commissioner Rexford, if I may, Jeff Craig Planning and Development Services. In the city of Lawrence, our short-term rental ordinance only permits an individual to license three short-term rentals at any one time. And to kind of give a little bit of background and parameters um, for those commissioners who are not with the board at this point in time, the, the iteration of the short-term rental that we have now is the third iteration. And it leans heavily on an inspection and a licensing program that the city stood up alongside of its long-term rental program. So um, kind of Carl's point there, there are others in the Douglas County and the municipalities that do have limits on those. Um, the difference between the way that the city of Lawrence viewed it versus the conversation that, that Carl alludes to there is that it's, it does probably have a little bit more of a, we have a little bit more housing stock than the county does. So you're going to see those ramifications in a bit of a different way, but we do limit to no more than three per licensee in the city. Right. Hey, thanks, Jeff. That's great. Maybe, maybe by the, my recommendation then would be that uh, we consider making that consistent in this case. Thank you for that. Go ahead, Commissioner Shanklin. Um, I, I have a number of questions here. Um, I, I do agree uh, wholeheartedly with uh, the comments that uh, Commissioners Butler, Willie, and Rexroad have made. Um, it, the I, just working backwards, um, I, it appears to me that we are because of the precedent that this establishes, uh, effectively creating a text amendment to the county code by virtue of what we adopt here, um, and that is probably the subject of a code revision as opposed to. Uh, a list of conditional, you know, requirements, uh, you know, under this use permit. Um, I think it's excessively burdensome. Um, all the behavioral stuff that's contained within this list ought to be, that, that should be the responsibility of the property owners. Um, it should be no more burdensome than the burdens that we impose on an adjoining full-time resident. So, and the even with the respect to the, you know, the concerns about the septic system, uh, that's something a property owner deals with um, all the time in their own home. 
I'm sure that the applicant here will be doing the same because they don't want to have to incur the expense of improving that septic system in order to accommodate, uh, you know, if they do determine that, you know, that they've invited too many people to enter into that house, um, they'll be backing off that probably fairly quickly. So I don't think we need these conditions on them. Um, and it's again um, on the subject of you know vacation rentals impacting affordable housing. I'd like to see the research. Everybody has a knee jerk reaction to that one. Um, I haven't seen the research yet, and I've studied the issue. So um, that's that's all for me. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. Commissioner Rexford, go ahead. Yeah, sure. I just I just had one more comment that I, that I think about um, uh, the notion of of relaxing a bit from uh, some of these um, eleven conditions that are uh, no, I'm sorry, sixteen conditions that are outlined here. Um, I walked around the property today, um, and these houses are right on top of each other. Um, I, in a case by case basis. Um, I cannot imagine a situation where something going on in that house isn't immediately apparent to the to the uh, um, owner of that. Now, that's not necessarily something that would be a general rule across every every situation, but in this particular situation, I feel much more comfortable about uh, relaxing a number of these things just because of how close they are. Go ahead, Commissioner Willie. I'd like to call out what excellent job Carl has done researching this and bringing in um, ideas from other communities. And um, this is us digesting a new idea and, and uh, picking it apart. It's kind of our, our process, but um, glad to have you here and glad to have the work. I, I do see that that this work is going to, and this discussion is going to um, flow into what that text amendment might look like in the future. And uh, we had dealt with this somewhat in Lawrence, and now we're just kind of seeing it for the first time and thinking about it for the first time as what that would mean for the county and, and how that's different. So I'm, I'm excited to have the discussion, and I'm really glad to have the, the research that Carl put in this uh, to get us started. So just because we have questions and, and, and comments, uh, don't take that as, as anything against the work that you brought to us. We're really glad. Agreed. Commissioner Carpenter, go ahead. I'm, I'm just experiencing deja vu here. These are a lot of the same issues that happened when we were talking about short-term rentals in the city of Lawrence. Um, that was rolled out and it was just horrible in what came to us for a couple of months. The city finally changed tack entirely and turned it into a licensing issue and not a land use issue. Um, so none of those come to us because it is all a licensing issue in the city. I don't feel the need to have the unincorporated areas have the same rules and regulations as those in the city of Lawrence. I mean, our planning commission is a joint commission for Lawrence and the unincorporated areas, but it doesn't take into account Baldwin, Lecompte, and Eudora. Um, so 
sometimes we're going to have different rules between the county and the city of Lawrence, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Ideas being thrown out, a lot of valid criticisms, areas for discussion. Um, the, for the Lawrence part, there was a lot of discussion about the number of these to be for each individual owner, and there was tied with it for at least for a while the requirement that you live um, on the property, or so you could have a separate, you know, rental unit on your property, but doesn't look like that's the direction we're going out there, or maybe we are. I mean, we have one conditional use permit, and we're trying to accomplish what the rules might look like for anybody applying anywhere in the whole county, and that's 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 difficult. Um, I. I'd like to suggest we just look at this one and try not to make something that's so out of out of the range of what's reasonable. So if we do get to having a text amendment to address short term rentals in the county that we don't have uh, grandfathered in outliers. And I think one way that in with this request, if it's not transferable to a new owner, maybe we take care of that problem if we come up with a different set of rules. Um, as we discussed earlier, it's not normal to really separate a conditional use permit from running with the land with new owners. But this is one of those cases that given where we are in the discussion, it might make sense because it doesn't mean that somebody can't come in and just apply for another conditional use permit as part of the sale. And if we follow what we've done in the past, we're, we're probably going to approve the new conditional use permit, maybe with some minor variations uh, to take into account what we've learned in the interim. I don't know, I just like to try to pull back and let's look at this one and know that we're gonna have to do more work for the entire county as a whole. Um, so I think what we're doing here is we're, we've got an outline of what the discussion is going to be for a text amendment. So I don't know if something else we're going to do tonight is possibly initiate a text amendment, further explore all this, but that's what it's kind of sounding like to me. So I'll just leave it there and see where we go next. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Go ahead, Commissioner Shanklin. I wonder if it's possible to, since it does seem to be that we're heading in the direction of a text amendment, uh, to, to go ahead and approve this as a conditional use permit, but just without restrictions, subject to uh, having it, you know, be altered at, at such time as we do a text amendment. Um, I, I don't know if they're currently using the, the property on a full-time basis as, as a rental, but it, it seems to me that um, to enact any conditions to their permit at this point would be somewhat arbitrary. So if, if we think that we're going to uh, deal with it as a text amendment countywide in the, in the near future. One point, if I may, Mr. Chair, bring up as, as part of that discussion between Commissioner Carpenter and Commissioner Shanklin is, you know, conditional use permits will 
have a, a time amortization to them. So if there is concerns about the conditions that are placed upon them, you can recommend that there is a time limit upon them with the assumption that the rules will come into place before the CUP would sunset. And so there would still be rules in place of governing, but then when the sunset occurs, they could go in line with whatever process or requirements are in place with that at that point in time. So in, in lieu of it not being non-transferable, it may be an item to consider as a temporal uh, amortization of the CUP. Go ahead, Commissioner Carpenter. I, I just wanted to add what I forgot in my little extemporaneous talk there was the major discussion that occurred at least in Lawrence, and I know it's occurring all over the country about whether these are residential properties or whether they're businesses. And the fact that we're collecting sales taxes on them for the residency kind of says that they're more like businesses. So it seems appropriate that there are some special conditions to put in place for safety and in other types of issues that would go with it. But as Jeff said, you know, we could say that we're going to review this in X number of years, you know, and not just let it run until there's a change in ownership. We could say like five years and we might have a text amendment sooner than that. But this one would be there and then we could change it or the applicant can come back and reapply and we could modify it to if they like what the new, what the text amendment is. Uh, it would be changed then, otherwise it would change when um, we renew the condition of use permit. But I just wanted to add that we have that argument about is it a residence, is it a business? And since we're collecting sales tax, that kind of leans us in one direction. Is there, a, I may be missing it, but is there a time, well, there's not a, there's not a timeline on this one or a sunset on this one. Is that right, Kyle or Carl? That's correct. Okay. I mean, I it, just to add my two cents, I think the, I would agree, I think, with uh, with what Commissioner Carpenter said. I think uh, that we ought to review this particular CUP um, sort of separately from uh, what may or may not become uh, more permanent um, regulations as part of a text amendment. But the question I have is, I, I'm not sure I'm all the way to where, where Commissioner Shanklin is um, in suggesting no limits or, or no regulations or conditions, I guess. And I'm still wondering if, if are, are there any conditions that are, are really essential um, with respect to this particular CUP and this particular property um, that we, and we could just sort of wait on all the other ones while uh, we we evaluate whether or not there should be a text amendment to to add these to the code. Um, and I don't know if that's a fair question to ask Tanya or Carl, because <laughs> um, you guys, I mean, you you suggested these, and so I think you suggested them thinking um, that they were necessary. But uh, I, I I don't know. Is there a way to to sort of whittle them down? for this particular property while we try to figure out how to handle all these other ones that are going on in the unincorporated areas of Douglas County? I would say our greatest concerns are life safety. So making sure that it's inspected by our building inspectors, that would be our greatest concern. 
And my other greatest concern would be um, in terms of violations. So making sure that the uh, neighboring property owners are notified of this and that they have the contact information of the property manager. So if there is a violation, they contact them before it becomes a code enforcement issue. And I would um, just like to add that in the past, if we've had a conditional use permit and we've received neighbor complaints and there was no condition on the conditional use permit stating what should or shouldn't happen, then we cannot enforce it. And so, um, and we don't actually have the legal authority to bring the conditional use permit back. Um, and so we probably are erring on the side of caution um, because we have experienced that in several situations where say um, there, was, there wasn't a condition about traffic and traffic numbers and how many people go to and from the site. And then we started receiving complaints from the neighbors about the amount of cars going by the property to and from the site. But because it wasn't a condition stating how many people could go to and from the site, we had no condition to, to, to have them meet. So then at that point, it was just unenforceable. Um, so I think we're probably erring on a very conservative side. I do agree. But I think we, um, from the enforcement side, do often get ourselves in pickles um, where conditions are not added. And then when neighbors do start to complain, we don't have any avenue for enforcement. That, I mean, that really resonates with me. I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, we, we approve CUPs elsewhere and we have limits on them to sort of minimize the impact on the, you know, on the surrounding neighborhoods. And so uh, it seems to me there should be limits like, a no-brainer for me would be limits on uh, or limits that are tailored to sort of avoiding uh, a, a big house party. Um, uh, and if it's violated and neighbors call in, then the county can do something about it. Or else, like Tanya said, nothing can be done. And those kinds of things seem rational to me um, and reasonable for this particular application, even if we're not evaluating all these other things because we're not comfortable with it, you know, as, as a body. Um, that's sort of where I am right now, but I, I don't, uh, I don't know. Are there any commissioners that wanna, um, th that wanna sort of uh, apply the full list of conditions to this particular CUP? They wanna advocate for that, <laughs> that route? Go ahead, Commissioner Willie. As you can guess, I'm not advocating for the whole list, but I, I do suggest some, have some trimmings to suggest if it's uh, time for that, and then we can discuss further. Um, I think we've talked about number one, which would be uh, maximum occupancy of 12 with the permission of the health department. Um, I would strike number two and then by the time and when we have a text amendment that applies to everybody, I think we probably will address this and should address this, but it feels a little bit restrictive to have chosen this one when we have a lot of others that are, you know, working under the table for the moment. So that would be up for discussion. Um, number three, I think it uh, the refuge refuse plan is appropriate. I don't think it should be so specific that it has to be picked up there. I think if the property owner manager wants to drive the trash to the um, transfer station themselves, that would be entirely an appropriate way. So just a, uh, an appropriate refuse disposal plan. Um, number 
Six, I think, needs a, a little bit of language to kind of put some boundaries. So not a building permit, but uh, put some boundaries around what that inspection is and isn't so that people who sign up for this um, are, are not so afraid that it's going to open a, a big can of worms, but that they have some idea of what what is going to fall into that. And I, I would ask either Carl or Tanya to give some, some suggestions for that. Um, and I would um, strike number 12. I think part of a CUP is that it's a contract between the county and the business and that they can make plans on it and the neighborhood understands like this is what we have on the books. I think being able to open it up in the middle and change it is, is, a, is a bad precedent. But I do think that it would be appropriate to put a time limit on it just because I think we have some rules that are going to be coming down the pike and that the next step uh, would be that it would fall under those rules. But I think just the, the level of uncertainty of anything that comes up can be brought back and reopen the CUP, I think is really hard on the business owners. Those would be my comments and I'd be glad to hear reactions from uh, Carl and Tanya. Thanks, Commissioner Willie. Do you, do you have reactions, Tanya and Carl? Um, Tanya Boyd, Zoning Director. I agree with all of Karen's comments. I think the one regarding the building permit, I think if we just say a change, change of use permit with a life safety inspection would cover just the life safety components. So they would be looking at smoke detectors, carbon monoxide, ingress, egress, those type of things. Um, we did have a life safety inspection done on the last um, Airbnb um, that was inside of the home. It was just a bedroom uh, and it had a large deck on the outside and there were some um, questionable um, structural issues with the deck. So some improvements needed to be made to the deck. Uh, so I'd be completely comfortable with rewording that to a life safety inspection. Commissioner Willie, and just to clarify, you, I mean, you didn't talk about a number of them. It, was that, uh, can I um, infer from that that you didn't have problems with the ones you didn't mention? Correct. Okay. Do any, I mean, do any commissioners have any um, concerns with any of the, I guess anything that Commissioner Willie suggested, but also any of the other conditions? Commissioner Carpenter. Not so much a concern, but with number six about the whatever we're going to do about the inspections, is there a difference in the re insurance requirements between you know my individual home that I'm willing to take risks and I'm not you know changing the wiring out every time the code changes, and um, a business like this? I mean. Do the insurance companies look at anything different or different sets of requirements? And I know that's not something we're going to anticipate. It's just a general question if anybody has any knowledge about that. Because it might inform a little bit about what we look at. Commissioner Carpenter, I can kind of, of recall some of the discussions we had when the city of Lawrence was doing its permit process. And from what I recall, it was certain insurers would require different liabilities and different handlings of the properties that would be in place there. Not necessarily that the property would be insured in a different manner, but you'd have to carry different um, 
writers and policies. The other item we learned as part of the process was is that mortgage companies will also require different things as part of their process um, and lending institutions will too, depending upon how the, the financing is done as part of that. So it's not necessarily that it's a, uh, you have to carry the same level of insurance as a hotel or an event center would, but it's a different level than if it was just an owner occupied structure. But that information is a bit dated, I'm sure, and it may have changed a bit over time, but that was as best as I can remember from pre-pandemic when we did that. Commissioner Carpenter, was that, did you have any follow-ups on that? Is that okay? Not really. Okay. I mean, I'm, like I said, this is like we're having rehashing the whole issue again at the <laughs> county level that the city went through and we weren't part of most of that discussion and we're trying to tackle most of that tonight, which I think is a little much to expect. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Willie, I think you raised your hand, right? Thank you. Yes, uh, we've talked about a lot of different things. I'd like to hear back from the MOTS, any reactions that you have to the way, the direction that the discussion is going. Um, in particular, I think the one about if we put a time limit on it instead of no time limit, but anything could change uh, based on the needs of the county. Uh, does that impact your financing for it or your business model? What are your reactions to what we're talking about so far? Uh, yes, yeah, so I don't. I don't think uh, it really impacts us uh, that much. We're we're actually, you know, making sure the home right now is is safe. You know, with the fire extinguishers and all the key places, the smoke detectors, carbon monoxide uh, lighting. Uh, we're also, you know, making the house new again. You know, we're you know refinishing cabinets and flooring and paint and. Um, really just increasing the value of the home, uh, making it something nice over there. Uh, the decks, you know, were in very bad shape. Um, you know, so we're just replacing boards and it's. Um, I think um, that we would feel much more comfortable with a finalized decision uh, coming back later on versus us putting all the things up front right now and uh, may not be needed. So. I think we're open to the idea of having to revisit it um, with those stipulations that um, we could move forward with this, knowing that we can eventually come back to it. Um, if this is kind of what we're thinking is the exhaustive list, this is, this is like, you know, the high of the high um, of what we could have, some of those points that we brought up. It may come up that, you know, that's not a concern. And so those things may come up. Some other things may um, be presented before. And if it becomes something that's too difficult for us, then at that time, we just wouldn't reapply. So I think, um, I think from our perspective and wanting to get something going for this, um, we'd be open to revisiting it in the future um, if we could um, agree upon that. Also wanted to talk a little more about the, uh, you know, the the septic system. I know, uh, you know, we live right next door, and uh, we, you know, we, just this past week, you know, I had my my mom and my sister stay over, and they showered also, and um, you know, it, we basically added to our load, 
but for a short period um, of time, um, I just, I'm just wondering, you know, like if, if we, if, you know, what's the cost um, associated to um, looking into making the system bigger? What's the cost of, of, you know, expanding the system on something that's a what if, you know, like it isn't even a problem yet. Um, I can guarantee you that if it was, that's something that we would do. You know, nobody wants to have that issue. Um, and we would do the same living here. You know, if we had, you know, if we realized that, hey, every time, you know, our family says that we have a problem, we should probably fix this. Uh, so I, I guess uh, I don't want to uh, spend money on something that may not even be a problem, I guess. That's all. I'm, that's all I had notes for. We do appreciate the discussion too, because you know we are residents of this area. It's it's extremely important to us to conserve um, the integrity of the area, and and with this property being um, in such close proximity to us, it does feel like an extension of our home, even though it's a separate dwelling, um, and so we really would like the opportunity to be able to monitor and control what goes on in that property um, since it's essentially part what we feel like is a part of ours as well. Thank you. Commissioner Butler, go ahead. Um, I, I think that uh, based on all of the conversation today, I tend to lean toward what Commissioner Shanklin uh, stated, and I would likely support this um, without any of the conditions that are listed because I just think they're excessive and overburdensome. So that's my two cents. Thank you, Commissioner Butler. Uh, any anyone else? Uh, go ahead, Commissioner Rexford. Sure, just file on a little bit. While I agree with uh, Commissioner Butler's comment, um, I do believe this list is excessive and long. I I also think back to to uh, Tanya Boyd's comment about. Um, uh, the need for some sort of a framework um, that enforcement can be done from. Um, there's work that has to be done to formalize what we want these rules to be. Um, uh, so I think I would, uh, I would, I do believe that we need to have something in place. I liked Commissioner Willie's take on that. Um, uh, I'd even be willing to maybe look at uh, removing um, one or two other of those components, but um, I, I do think we need to have some structure in place for the, the county to operate from. Thanks, Commissioner Rexroad. Go ahead, Commissioner Shanklin. Um, I, I would go along with leaving number 11 in. Um, beyond that, I, I, Commissioner Willie is the only other one of us on this call that lives out in the county. And so I, I'm not sure how familiar 
the commissioners who, who live in town are with the kinds of things you see out in the county. And I was just thinking about my neighborhood, uh, downtown Clinton, um, which are, we're not under a homeowners association, so nobody has to abide by any rules. There are uh, recreational vehicles in people's yards. Um, there, I can even think of one truck that's up on blocks. Um, we have RVs driving by our house all the time. Uh, between uh, you know Memorial Day and Labor Day, hundreds of them. Um, we're out in the county. We we don't have the expectation outside of a homeowners association to have restrictions on the behavior of our neighbors other than what's polite. And we're all very polite. And and I, you know, I look at our applicants, I think they're probably pretty polite too. I, I just don't see the alarm in this um, that goes beyond enacting a text amendment that takes care of all the issues that we formally uh, decide to, to resolve. And so to me, a time limit and item number 11, um, you know, should should satisfy us here. Thanks, Commissioner Shanklin. I guess one question I'd have back is why do we consider conditions for any CUPs in the in unincorporated areas then? Could I respond? Yeah, uh, I, I, that was a legitimate question, I was wondering. Yeah, no, but, but um, when we think about what kind of use this is, it's a residential use. And so why should the conditions be any more burdensome than those on another homeowner? And I understand Commissioner Carpenter's categorical analysis saying, is this a business or is this a residence? But the use is residential. Um, the, the, the fees we impose on it are appropriate under the circumstances because it is commerce, but still it's a residential use. That's the way I look at it. Thank you. I, I, uh... I recognize that distinction and that's, I appreciate that. Any other thoughts? I mean, as I, okay, go ahead, Commissioner Willings. I am a fan of uh, vacation rentals that have smoke alarms and fire extinguishers. I've certainly rented places that didn't have them and that responsibility is on me. I mean, as a full-time renter, as a month-to-month -month, uh, annual renter, but when you go to a vacation rental, you don't have, you have an expectation that at least that there's some things put in place that are looking out for your safety. So I'm I'm certainly in favor of of some of those things. I just didn't want to get uh, too excessively burdensome. But I think some of the life safety things. I think a, a, an outside set of eyes would be nice. I think for the business owners to recognize. Sometimes we don't flag those things in our own homes, or that we that other people might see. Uh, I don't know, temperature check, I guess. It seems like we have two sort of air, uh, factions forming. Like it sounds like there are some that want, are, are okay approving the CUP with zero conditions. And there are some who um, are sort of leaning towards approving it with conditions, but 
uh, you know, modified um, from what is presented in the staff report. Um, and so I, I don't know what the best way to resolve that is other than to maybe <laughs> consider throwing it up for a motion if someone wants to make one, but I'll entertain other thoughts. Go ahead, Commissioner Rexrod. Thank you. Yeah, Commissioner Shanklin, um, the comments really resonated with me, um, but I, I think I have a different appreciation for that now. And and I I, I also agree with uh, Commissioner Willie on, on, and I think Tanya offered a great, uh, a great, uh, um, I don't know if it compromises the right word, but a great position moving away from building permit to a life safety inspection. Um, so maybe uh, if, if the group is up for a motion, um, it, maybe it's, I'll just throw this out as I won't make the motion, but just throw it out for a topic of conversation that that motion be that we approve um, with conditions limited to um, number 11 and the life safety inspection component <coughs> being a part of it. That's that's a motion that I, I think I could get behind and support. If anybody agrees with that and if they want that to happen formally, I'm happy to make that or someone else can. Yeah. Are you able to articulate which of the conditions are the life safety component conditions? Yes, it would be a rewrite of number six. Um, instead of saying a building permission will be required, it would say a life safety inspection would be required. Mr. Rexroad, I think that's a great idea and I would support your motion. At least two of you. <laughs> Three, okay. <laughs> Why don't I put it out there? We'll see what happens. Okay. I move that we approve conditional use permit CUP-22-00054 for vacational rental use located at 1269 North 870 Road with the conditions of a required life safety inspection and item 11 from the staff reports list of conditions and that we forward that to the county commission for approval before there's a second uh, could we have some discussion on that sure what about number 16 is number is six the county going to be prohibited from responding to noise complaints Or if we start parking RVs outside, is the county going to be prohibited from enforcing the rules? Commissioner Shanklin, did you want to? Uh, yeah, a I, I, it seems to me, and the reason that I didn't think 16 was important at all is that they're subject to that anyway, aren't they? I mean, the, granting a permit to use the property in this way doesn't eliminate enforcement of other laws, does it? Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I, I just thought that that was uh, something that they would be subject to anyway. Commissioner Shanklin, you are correct. Typically, it, these would not preclude any other ordinances or regulations that are in place. To give you an example for the city, if there is a noise violation and it's not listed in a special use permit, they're still subject to and fined under that noise ordinance violation. 
So the ordinance would still carry weight in effect. And I see Tanya's come on to provide some input too. Yeah, so Tanya Voigt, so currently if there's a noise violation and there's a concern from neighbors about noise, we tell them to call the sheriff's office. So what they would continue to do is continue to call the sheriff's office over and over and over again. If it's not a condition, it does not allow us to bring the conditional use permit back to you to say there's been noise violations over and over and over again and the CUP shall be withdrawn or removed. And, and to me, that's the difference here. If it's not in the CUP, it's not grounds that the county can start the initiate the action to revoke the CUP. It is simply a regular nose com noise complaint, and you can subject the neighbors to this over, like Tanya said, you know, over and over and over and over again, without um, being able to change the underlying condition that gives rise to that problem. So, Carpenter, isn't the, I mean. The owners live next door. So if we're talking about a noise complaint, they would be able to hear that. So I'm not, again, I, I think the focus needs to be on this property, not on all properties in the county. So I'm failing to see how that applies with the owners living next door to this particular property. So help me out, please. Well, Commissioner Butler, because it's not for the protection of the owner of the property, it's protection of the neighbors. And I understand that, and they're the neighbors. And, and I am not looking at this. This is a special case where this is an adjacent property by the, the owner, but there are other neighbors out there. And what we're doing is we would be removing um, a tool of the county to address other neighbors' concerns. And, and to me, that's that's what the purpose of that is. And, well, and if, I, I, I respectfully let me, let me ask this of Tanya and Jeff. If, the, if there was language that says, and shall uh, comply with other all other county regulations, zoning rules and regulations, um, would that cover that as a catch-all and we don't have to list them out? With that, and if so, we if you have enough violations stack up by calls to the sheriff, would that give you the basis to re, to start an enforcement action of the CUP? You're muted for a second. Sorry, we can um, hear you now. I believe that if you had a condition where it was all of the county code were honored because the noise ordinance is not um, necessarily a part of the zoning regulations, the nuisance regulations are not the zoning regulations. And so it would need to meet all aspects of county code. And then we'd have the ability to bring something back if it were violating county code. So is it that would be enough that would we could eliminate all these different numbers and just add to what commissioner rexrose motion is add that one extra condition will comply with all county code regulations yes no in the alternative we could just accept 16. <laughs> It's not just 16. 
it's it's the lighting it's it's all the others i'm just saying there are there are many others and there's some that aren't listed here and that's you know that's not an exhaustive list this is just a Jim, if I understand you right, then your your intention of adding that line and say to, and shall comply with county code and regulations that then states the obvious, but it gives then the county the opportunity to bring the CUP back in front of this body as one means of corrections, one means of of control that they have that they don't otherwise have without that line item. That that's mostly correct. It would never come back to this body. It would be an enforcement action, and if it failed to comply with the enforcement action, it would go straight to the county commission. Yes. But yes, that's that's what I'm okay. suggesting. I, we should recognize that that's imposing on the applicant standards that none of the rest of us have to live with. Well, they're asking for a conditional use permit which is something none of the rest of us have either. If you think this one's bad, wait till you see the next one. <laughs> um, I would say that most of the conditions on here, I feel are a fairly low bar for things that the applicant was likely to do anyway. And I think things that are likely to come up in, um, in, a, in a text amendment that will be applied in the future, I, I don't hear a pushback from the MOTS saying that um, having a welcome book that shows where the exits are is 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 a serious imposition on them. I think it's just good business practice. I think it's okay to flag some of these things and I don't think it hurts anybody. So um, I, I certainly am glad to pull back some of the more restrictive ones. I don't feel compelled to get rid of them, uh, the majority of them altogether. I think the county um, needs to have some um, uh, jurisdiction here because it is a, a new use and because part of the CUP process, we didn't hear from a lot of neighbors, we did hear from one, um, but the CUP process takes into, protect, into consideration protections for the, the neighborhood. And I think as these start to unfold and get more press, we'll be hearing from more neighbors with more concerns. And I think this addresses things. Part of what we do is we represent the people that did not come forward to speak at the public meeting. And I think some of these things are things we would have heard from more people um, if we had a, a greater representation from the neighborhood. So I'm not bothered by most of what's in here. I, I would say I agree with Commissioner Willie. I thought I still am uh, in agreement with her comments from earlier on about what, which ones were maybe ones we could uh, modify or get or, or strike. Um, and so with, uh, you know, Commissioner uh, Carpenter, Commissioner Will, I think there are some that we can and ought to consider including um, that aren't in the current motion, but I, I sort of, uh, or the proposed motion. Wait, is there a motion pending? I can't remember even now. <laughs> I've made a motion, but okay. we, we stopped before a second. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just, I'm fighting a cold, and so it's all okay. blending together. But yeah, so there there is a motion and uh, a second, and, and those are things I'm obviously like, you know, things aren't included in that motion that I think ought to be. But it seems like maybe that motion was premature based on some of this discussion. But well, I I don't know if it was because I'm not sure that. 
I mean, I think it's sometimes motions prompt discussion that may not be had otherwise. Did that. Point of, point of order, Mr. Chair, there is a motion on the floor and not a corresponding second to the motion. I'll second it. Okay. It's now been seconded. Okay. The record will, will reflect. And Jeff, uh, just uh, come confirm this. We want to make sure we have this correct on our end here um, since we've had a, a bit of a discussion here. The, the motion was to approve with conditions to require a life safety inspection and to correspond with item number 11 of the staff report. There was no indication or comments related to time limitations or any other items related to it. So it, at this point, there is no time restriction applied to the CUP. Jeff, can I ask a clarifying question on process? If we have a motion on the table in a second, um, to approve or deny, uh, and it had a certain set of conditions with it, do we get another chance if we say we denied it with this particular motion, but the intention is to approve the application, but with a different set of um, conditions, do we get that option or is this a one chance? It would depend on the way that the vote would go because if the vote is in the affirmative, you would have a different different tally and result on that point there. If, there. if the commission would like to continue discussion on the item or on the conditions, I would recommend that the first and the second withdraw the motion and return it for board consideration before going to a vote. In the alternative, can, can Commissioner Rexroad amend his motion? To, to include a time constraint? Yes, a friendly amendment could be possible if also in agreement with the individual making the second. That would work for me. How would we word that time limit? Uh, Commissioner Rexford, the, the example in the staff report included a limitation of a 10-year time limit, but you could also just condition it that the CEP shall expire X number of years from the date of ordinance public, or excuse me, of resolution publication, and that would give us sufficient language for that. And the rationale we had for setting this this um, expiration date out there was um, the idea that work on a text amendment might be forthcoming that would then provide the framework um, that would fill in these open conditions. Is that correct? Anyone? It's your motion. <laughs> no, I'm asking. I'm asking that question. <laughs> so what, what I'm trying to get at is what is X? What is what is the right what is the right number of years for this for a text amendment to come to the table to be worked through to become part of code that then would apply here? And I have no idea what that number is. Can we simply say, um, this is, I guess, for, for Jeff, um, that the CUP would terminate upon the effectiveness of 
a text amendment covering the subject matter and that it would have to be brought for reconsideration. If, if, if in fact a conditional use permit is even required at that point, because the text amendment would probably obviate the need for that. A great question. I don't know the answer to that exactly because I don't know how to write that so that we would have corresponding sunsetting provisions to it in the land use portion of it. Typically the conditional use, the easiest way is to sunset them on, on time only because it's, it's a clear one because it, How about we say the earlier to occur of uh, two years and um, the enactment of a text amendment covering the uh, you know, the subject matter. How about we just say five years and keep it easy? That works. Uh, Commissioner yeah, Rennes, to, yeah. is that the addition to your motion in? <laughs> five so, years. So what we're talking about Commissioner Shanklin is uh, the friendly agreement between the, the first and the second is the addition of a time limit of five years in the CUP. That's it. Yeah. All right. Do you need me to restate the entire uh, motion again, Jeff, or does our agreement on five year time limit sufficient for you? Uh, if it's if the board doesn't mind, let me restate it again just to make sure I've got the language correct for the motion. And Kyle can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, is to recommend approval of the conditional use permit with conditions requiring a life safety inspection. Uh, also requiring the applicant shall notify the zoning and codes department of any change of contact information and applying a five-year time limit to the conditional use permit. That's what I have also. Correct. I would second that. So, Mr. Chair or Jeff, the the process um, the process here it, a, a yes vote. I understand a no vote. The, do we get another chance at um, taking at trying it again, or is it strictly like we've we've denied the applications? Yeah. My intention is to allow the application. I'm just trying to decide what my options are. It, it, the vote of the planning commission would be to forward whatever recommendation is approved by a majority of the body. So whatever that is, is what gets forwarded into advance. So it does not work like a comprehensive plan amendment in that respect. So once you vote, depending upon what that is, is how it would recommend go forward. So to follow up on that, Jeff, if, uh, if this particular motion failed, like, you know, two to four or something like that, would we have to do another vote? To, to get something passed? Yes, you'd have to have, an, it would have to be a majority in the affirmative of a motion to okay. advance it out. And if it was deadlocked, would we, we would, try another motion? We would try another motion. And if that was also a deadlock situation, then it would be the planning commission fails to advance a recommendation at that point. Okay. Is that helpful, Commissioner Willie? It is helpful. Thank you for clarifying that, Mr. Chair. <laughs> and I Jeff, was clarifying it for myself too. Jeff, if we fail to advance a recommendation, what are the options of the county commission at that time? Uh, 
let me double check the code because I cannot remember, I don't remember it applying any special voting privileges at that point, but let me double check to confirm that. Well, Jeff is checking, can I make a point? Um, we have not put any limitations on occupancy, um, which almost all um, short-term rentals have some kind of, of, of limit on that. And I think with the, the health department issues and the concerns of the neighbor just neighbors just to make sure that it does not become available for large parties, which I don't think the MOTs intend, but part of this is is how we reassure the neighborhood that this is uh, you know, a legitimate uh, business proposition. We, we don't have any protections for that in the current motion. Is everybody okay with that? No. Not to tip my hand too much. <laughs> well, Jeff's looking too. I mean, um, I think, sorry, Jeff, go ahead. Just to follow up on that, I believe the question was if um, the Planning Commission fails, I'm reading from 12-307-2.05C, if the Planning Commission fails to make a recommendation on a conditional use, the Planning Commission shall be deemed to have made a recommendation of denial. I believe that is the, like, the answer that we were looking for. So then it takes a majority of County Commissioners. That is not covered in that. I think I think Kyle's got the first half of our question real quick. The Uh, in the in the county commission's action section, a two-third majority of the membership of the board of county commissioners is required to override a planning commission recommendation. So, if the recommendation fails to advance, is considered a denial, would require two-thirds majority to overturn that recommendation at the county commission hearing. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I think everybody has said something about what they, whether they have, uh, you know, what their concerns are or why they are in favor of the current motion. Um, I mean, if anybody has anything else they want to add before we vote, that, that'd be fine. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it open for a couple seconds here. Okay. I mean, the one thing I think I would add is I, we've covered Commissioner Carpenter and Commissioner Willie, you've covered a few of them. I mean, I think like items four and five, having, you know, the owners designate a manager, whether it's themselves or someone else, and then providing that information, the contact information to neighboring owners is, is really reasonable. I mean, I think uh, when we're trying to balance um, the interests, um, having some sort of transparency in that regard so that owners can contact or neighbors can contact the owners. Um, maybe even before uh, complaints are, you know, run up the chain is, is a good way to resolve some of these things. And so I think those are, are reasonable requirements. I would just kind of add them to my list of, uh, of things I think 
makes sense to have on this. Um, but with that said, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything to do other than have Jeff read the role on this particular motion. Commissioner Butler. Yes. Commissioner Carpenter. No. Commissioner Rexrow. Yes. Commissioner Shanklin. Yes. Commissioner Sinclair. No. Commissioner Willie. Just to clarify, if I vote no and we're a tie, I can make another motion and we'll try again, right? <laughs> Nobody responded. One second. I think he's looking. Yeah. <laughs> it it would have the condition and recommendation of a denial from the Planning Commission. I will vote yes. Motion passes four to two. Very good. Thank you, uh, Mots, for hanging with us <laughs> for that, and, and good luck to you all. Uh, I guess before we move on to the next item, though, maybe we need to just touch base um, on whether or not we want to uh, initiate a text amendment on this. Is there, I mean, what are people, what are the commissioners thinking on this? It seems like it's in order, it seems needed. I can't remember, Jeff. What's the, I mean, what's the process? What do we need to do as a commission to to consider and then actually like in, in, initiate a text amendment? Let me get your county rules on my screen real quick. I believe they're almost identical to your your city rules. And those are, we could consider it a miscellaneous new or other business later in the agenda. Oh, okay. Okay. We can, maybe we can just do that. Um, let's do that then. Um, but in the meantime, let's, why don't we take a five minute break? I don't know how long the last item will take and then the discussion of a text amendment initiation, but we can at least give ourselves a little, little breathing time. Let's take a five minute break and be back at like 8.53 or so. Um, Mr. Chair, we'll wait on one commissioner real quickly, and we should be ready to go in just a minute. Okay. Uh, Mr. Chair, we're ready when you are, I believe. Very good. Thank you. Um, Okay, let's get back at it. Um, the next item up is number four on our regular agenda. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's to consider approving a conditional use permit, CUP 2200030 for equipment storage, light use, located at 1074 North 100 Road. Um, and we have Catherine Week to present to us tonight. 
Good evening, commissioners. And I have another CUP item to bring before you this evening. Uh, this is for CUP 22-00030. Um, it's located at 1074 North 100 Road. And this particular use that the CUP is requesting is for equipment storage light. Um, so the reason for the request, uh, just to get down into, oh, one other uh, point of note, staff did not receive any communications prior to the printing of the staff report. However, we did get a communication that got added to your packet, um, just asking you to consider uh, the impacts for the use. So that did get added to your packet. Uh, the request um, is being asked for because uh, basically they have, um, their use does not fall under the home um, occupation category. And so uh, the city let them know that they would need a CUP uh, to do this type of use on the property. This property is zoned AG1. And so equipment storage, both light and heavy, are uses that require CUP in the AG1 district. And so the summary of the request is that the storage of their light equipment for the applicants, uh, snow, re snow removal um, and other equipment um, that this location is also their primary residence. Um, so there would be no anticipated changes to the site. This is just to accommodate that use that they're requesting. And so the key points for this particular request, this is again, the storage of light equipment and trucks. Um, and it does require the CUP in the AG1 district. It's a service oriented business. So it should generate no onsite customer traffic and services are provided to the customers at their location. Storage of their equipment for the business uh, would be on the site um, and should not be for any persons not related to the business or the homeowner. Um, there are no, again, no current proposed changes to the buildings on the site. They already have an accessory building. There's some storage already happening on the site for their personal and agricultural equipment. Um, they have a barn, some storage containers and a designated area where uh, this would be taking place. I did include a map in the staff report showing um, the outline of location. I can bring it up if we need to, but all of the activity on the site would be located to the far north of the property, uh, north of the residence. Um, and it's approximately a little more than 1200 feet from the public right of way. So it's quite a distance uh, from the roadway. When we're looking at conditional use permits, um, as was mentioned earlier, we have a list of criteria that we need to consider. Um, I'll briefly go through those because I know we've talked about them a lot tonight. So um, just kind of list them out um, just to let you know, staff did find that they did meet all of the criteria or can meet all of the criteria with some conditions for these types of uses um, as listed. And so, those criteria are whether or not uh, the proposed use complies with all applicable provisions of the regulations. Um, staff felt that this is met. Uh, whether that proposed use is compatible with the zoning and land uses of the property nearby, including in terms of scale and site design, operating characteristics, hours of operation, traffic generation, lighting noise, odor, et cetera. And again, staff felt that these could be met um, with the conditions um, that staff is outlining um, and that there are similar uses, um, ag-related uses um, in the district, or I'm sorry, in the area already. And then whether the proposed use is compatible with the character of the area. Uh, this area is again, AG1 and AG2, um, some scattered areas. It's mostly rural residential um, and agricultural uses. 
So there are some similar uses. Uh, the equipment storage may or may not be a little heavier than some of the ag equipment storage, but that is covered in the application and uh, the applicant has described what that type of use would be. The suitability of the subject property for the uses to which it's been restricted. Um, the CUP doesn't change any underlying zoning, so the property is still suited for the zoning designation of AG1. Um, their primary residence is located on this particular property. Um, and so that, that could continue and it could still be utilized, even though it is not utilized for any ag currently, it would still be suitable for ag if um, someone were to wish to farm it in the future. So it is suitable for the, um, the, zone, or the restrictions that is currently um, on the property and the CUP does not change that. Whether or not uh, the use would cause significant adverse impacts to the natural environment, um, there are not any real significant areas of natural environment on this particular property. There are some um, areas of slope and some watershed that go through the central portion of the property, but all of the activity proposed in this CUP is on the far north of the property uh, where there is no, um, there's, it's not in the regulatory floodplain. There's no large stand of trees at this particular area um, and no uh, significant uh, soils on this particular portion. Uh, whether the use is in conformance with the comprehensive plan. Again, there's no specific um, in the comprehensive plan, specific uses are not outlined for property, property that's in the unincorporated uh, um, portion of the county. And so this, um, as long as it meets the goals and intents, um, which staff feels that it does, um, then it would be in conformance with the comprehensive plan. And, and again, CUPs are used as the tool to ensure that uses that would not be traditionally permitted in the zoning district are compatible with that area and um, the zoning designations in the area. Whether it's appropriate to limit the period of time, um, there's some discussion about this tonight on some previous ones. Typically in the past and um, for equipment type uses um, to be consistent, staff has um, suggested a time limit um, as has been deemed in the past for other equipment light and equipment heavy uh, conditional use permits. So and that time limit enables uh, zoning and codes to ensure that um, the scope of activity has not increased over time and that they are still in conformance with um, their conditional use permit and gives zoning and codes the tools necessary if that scope has increased and negative impacts are increasing that they can take steps um, to alleviate that for the area. So staff has um, staff is going to recommend approval um, with a list of conditions and we can talk about those. Again, um, just a note about the conditions because we had a lot of talk about conditions tonight. The particular list of conditions um, for this use is um, based on consistency from similar um, CUPs that have been issued over the last few years for um, equipment storage. And so to be comprehensive, they are all listed. Um, obviously the Planning Commission, if you would like to discuss some of those, um, we can address each of those individually if, if necessary. And that is the end of uh, my presentation and I can answer any questions if you all should have them. Thank you, Catherine. Um, and I think, uh, do we have 
Zach and or Heather Price, um, the applicants on the call here. Yes, the applicants are. Okay. Hi, uh, guys, if you want to unmute, you can have t up to 10 minutes to um, do your own presentation or offer any other uh, follow-up thoughts you'd like to. I don't know that we have any other follow-up thoughts or presentation. If there's questions anyone has, we'd be happy to answer those. Great. Thank you so much. I'm sure there, there will be. Um, with that, then, we will uh, make it available for public comment. If there's anybody still on the Zoom call or if anyone's come into the um, hearing room down there, uh, step up to the podium or raise your hand on the call here and you can have three minutes to offer comment on this item. I don't see anyone raising their hand. And Kyle, I'm assuming no one has showed up in the room downtown. You assume correctly. Okay. Uh, we'll close pub public comment and um, Bring it back to the commission then. Uh, fellow commissioners, are there any questions or comments to get the discussion started? Commissioner Butler? I do have a comment or question about um, in the conditions listed within the staff recommendation, the specifically number four, um, light equipment and personal property of the owner or resident at the listed address. Does it need to be, do those specific items need to be specified or could it just be a blanket exclusion of large industrial items or, or, or large equipment? I, I don't know what the so definition of large equipment would be, but. Commissioner Butler, so that condition um, comes from, so we have another use specifically for storage RVs or other equipment where people are leasing space to store things. This condition is meant to just state that the storage use on this particular property is for this particular business and this particular owner. And so they shouldn't be leasing the space to other other individuals or other businesses that might want to store their property on, on this particular parcel. Does that help clarify where that condition is kind of coming from? I think I, under I understand the exclusion of leasing it to others. Um, I just didn't know if it had to, if it was better to say that or if it's better to specify what's in the condition. Well, I think staff tries to keep it targeted for the intent, not, not necessarily honed down to the specific, specif specific list of equipment because there's a there's a whole multitude of equipment types and sizes that could be stored on the property or could be utilized. And these, these conditions were crafted based on other CEP language. And I think for consistency purposes, that's kind of where staff has gone in the past so that we're not overly um, regulating you know, this type of machinery, A, B, C, and D are permitted, but this type of machinery, E, F, and G aren't. If for some reason other conditions maybe are not being met and 
neighbors begin to notify code enforcement and they see that something is happening on the site that maybe the storage has exceeded the personal business for this this entity and the home or the homeowners then that would give them the opportunity to enact that enforcement action that they would need to so i think I my, my question focuses on the light equipment and i don't particularly care if they own the property necessarily what they what they have that's theirs that they own so i guess my question and i guess i should have been more specific was just should it say that they can't lease it out to other people instead of limiting it to light equipment and their other personal property well the cup is for light equipment and there's a distinction so i think to be consistent staff has kept the language the same um so I think in that sense, it does need to say light just because there's two specific de designations for the equipment storage use in the county regulations. Commissioner Butler, Jeff Crickley, I think if I understand your question correctly, is it is it more about the, the condition of the, the why it's a personal item and is, why does it not uh, enumerate that it has to, it could not be leased for other parties? Is, is that correct? Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. Ah. And that is, yes, it could be, the sentence could be constructed in that way so that it's clear that it is not for, for lease. It does have to be of, of the individual there for that one. So it could be constructed in a way to, to match that if needed. Sorry if I didn't answer that. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I just think the way it's listed now, it doesn't um, specifically exclude I mean, I guess you could use the and to do that for just the owner's property, but I just wanted more of a definition, Jeff, so I appreciate it. Commissioner Butler, we're certainly open to crafting a different sentence for the condition if it comes down to No, no, no. I just, that was my question. I'm not suggesting any other language. Okay. <laughs> um, Commissioner Willie, go ahead. So Catherine, I recognize that we've done CUPs for equipment storage in the past. Have we ever, and I don't think we have in my memory, um, required a CUP for someone to store their own things on their own property? Um, why are we not talking about this as a small business? You mentioned that it doesn't qualify as home business, um, but it just seems like maybe we're getting way too far into the weeds or missing what could be a simple explanation? Well, I think we want to make sure that they, so they have other agricultural equipment that may be qualified as heavier light, and that's perfectly permitted to be on their property. And I think why we're saying personal property is because there may be other large or light, heavier light equipment not related to this business that is, that the property owner owns and just just to make clear that that is permitted, that there, we're not restricting that in any way with the CUP. Another way to do that would be just, I guess, not have that language in there at all, and it would be assumed that that is permitted. Um, again, these, these conditions have um, come from other CUPs that we've approved in the past, and so to keep the language consistent, SAP has used the similar language so that we were not creating differences were creating a uniformity in CUPs that were issuing for similar equipment uses, so. 
I can ask a follow-up question, Catherine. So is, is the issue here that there is exterior storage and if it were interior storage for the business that it would fall under home occupation type two, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So that this exceeds the scope of that home occupation. The home occupation would have interior storage. The exterior storage and equipment storage in general is what is kicking it into either equipment storage light or equipment storage heavy, and it's no longer a home occupation use. Okay. Um, Mr. Chair, do you mind if I ask some questions of the applicant? Not at all. So, thank you. Um, so, uh, Mr. And Ms. Price, can you tell me about um, the so the business you have is a snow removal business is that right so is that in terms of time on the roads that's a fairly seasonal thing that perhaps happens when there's snow so maybe the dust issue is a whole lot less than is considered in these regulations that would be correct it is seasonal and the amount of storage is uh, is it shipping containers? Is it just equipment sitting outside? What's the scope? Both. It's two shipping containers um, and just equipment sitting outside. And I might add that um, the concern of the roads being used, um, different roads and routes are taken due to weather. Uh, a particular route may not be safe for um, our guys to take. So not every day is the same route being used uh, to help also with that concern. And we also work in multiple different directions. I mean, so um, it, we just, we don't take one path to the highway. Um, a lot of our work is um, agricultural work, um, working for farmers. Um, so we might be splitting in multiple different directions. Um, so. And then Catherine, would the agricultural part of that work be exempt from any of this discussion? Well, I think that's a good question. If it's agricultural work on the property, I think that's exempt. I'm not sure if the agricultural work um, if they're hiring out for like excavating their farm, you know, regrading or something like that, if that's covering the agricultural exemption, that might be a question for Tanya. I'm not sure if she's still on here tonight or not. Um, and again, condition number 10, you know, if the primary activity is only during certain seasons where dust is low, then you know, that might not be as applicable as if there is um, activity happening, maybe not just during the snow season, but also that equipment um, business or, you know, it is expanded to other types of uses, so, or other types of equipment. Other comments, questions? Commissioner Rexrod. Thank you. I'd, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about the condition 10 on dust control. I appreciate Commissioner Willie's uh, question about that. I had the same question about one season, but I, what I think I'm beginning to understand is that that's, that's a condition not related to snow removal, but anything that might go on there. I drove that road today and I'm super curious just how you plan to do that. 
uh, what what kind of requirement will there be for the applicant to uh, to control the dust on that road? Yeah, so that's that's a and county recommendation for these types of uses on the equipment type uses. If that one is not not applicable here, that's, that's certainly understandable. And yeah. it's my understanding that snow removal is the primary um, operation, but there is other ancillary um, equipment activity with their particular business. And if I'm mistaken in that, then that was my understanding from, from all of the information that I had for the application review. But if it's a seasonal thing and there isn't any dust, then that may not be an appropriate um, Okay. Condition. The, county, the county does have um, processes and that would be worked out through um, the county. Um, they have um, measures and the palliative process and um, goes through their office so that they can make sure that that's done accordingly if it's required and it may not be required here. So. Okay, thank you, Catherine. Thanks, Commissioner Rexford. Other commissioners with questions for staff for the applicant. I can speak a little to the dust palliative if that's all right. That'd be great. Sorry, my internet's a little unstable. Um, the it's a, a calcium that solution that is applied to the roads by the township, and it is uh, fairly expensive. I'd say very expensive. Uh, the nearest uh, paved road would be about two miles from their location, but it could, but like I said, they, they take a variety of routes. I, I think it's probably not um, applicable in this case. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. So if, just to follow up on that, uh, if that condition 10 were left in, uh, presumably, it would be the applicant's responsibility to apply this material to any roads they might take throughout the course of the year. Is that is that a correct assumption? That that would be correct. So that that's the standard language for when and the county is asking for that. And again, you know, these are a list of typical conditions that come from um, previous equipment storage. And if it is not applicable here, I, I don't mm -hmm. think. The county will have an issue with number 10 uh, not being on this. Okay. And just, I guess, a follow up question for the prices. Uh, is, is this your understanding as well? And is this condition something that uh, you considered and are, are okay with? Or do you have concerns about that and the costs associated with it? Um, I do have concerns with the costs associated with it if that would be determined that we would need to do that. Uh, simply because not only is it seasonal, but also there are many times uh, equipment doesn't even come back to this residence. It would stay on a job site. Uh, so really to determine how frequently any equipment is being moved around would be challenging as well. And it would be costly. Thank you. Sometimes, um, just to add, I, I mean, just just because it's being left on a job for one job, then it I mean, then the equipment could bounce to 10 other jobs and um, equipment might not show up here for three or four or five weeks. Um, it, it, it just varies in what we have going on. Um, so I just figured I'd add that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
Any commissioners have follow-ups to that or other items to talk about? Mr. Chair, when I um, gave my ex parte communication, I think I forgot to say the name of the person I'd spoken with, and that was Lee Broyles, the neighbor that uh, felt that the dust palliative was uh, too large of an ask for this particular application. And he was familiar, very familiar with the roads, as he is one of the main agricultural producers uh, creating dust on those roads, and and wasn't concerned about the the added um, traffic from this particular business. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. <clears throat> Other comments or questions from the commission? Can I ask the prices again? Um, are there any conditions other than that on this list that give you any concerns? Um, not, not that I saw. No. I, I, I didn't no. see anything either. Just number 10 was concerning. I thank you for that. Um, I think I could strike eight, nine, and 10. Um, the lighting at the very far back of their property is pretty far removed from anybody else's property. I think if they are interested in being good neighbors, that that, that would take care of itself. Um, on the other hand, it doesn't especially bother me to leave it in. Um, the permit from the County Works Department I don't know that that is relative to the storage. That would just be relative to their business and just what the what what is already required for permitting for moving vehicles on the roads. But I don't know that that I think that's outside of the purview for here. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. One I might maybe ask a question about is the review time frame number three. Um, I can't remember, Catherine, maybe you can help me remember uh, the um, the review period of five years. Is that sort of a standard CUP review period? So that's what we've been doing typically on the last few years when we've been um, reviewing equipment storage uses. And okay. The opportunity to make sure in that five-year time they haven't ex expanded so much that they've exceeded their scope of their CUP, um, but that gives, still gives them time, you know, to operate their business, um, but still gives the county um, that that option to kind of peek in and make sure that everything is operating smoothly. Okay, can you remind me of the? The procedure in a, um, a CUP review, are there costs and fees involved for the applicant? For the administrative review, I don't believe so. If they were okay. to, so in at that 10 year point when the CUP expires, then they would need to reapply um, for the CUP, come back before this board, get back before the county commission, and there is a application. I don't know that there's a fee for the annual review. I believe that's just an administrative review that we put on their workflow. Okay, thank you.
any commissioners, um, anyone else have questions or thoughts to add? Mr. Chair, I would be willing to make a motion if that is appropriate and it would probably be for to include conditions one through eight. I, I left the lighting one in also. I, yeah, I'm certainly willing to entertain that. I think we're, we can hash it out if we need to. All right, uh, I move to approve conditional use permit CUP 22-30 for equipment storage light located at 1074 North 100 Road um, and forwarding that with a um, recommendation for approval, including conditions one through eight. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. We have a motion to approve. Um, uh, subject to conditions one through eight, listed in the uh, staff report. Do we have a second? A second. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. So we have a motion to approve and a second. Um, any other comments before we take a vote? No? Jeff, can you go ahead and read the roll, please? Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes six to zero. Great, thank you very much. Good luck to the prices. Um, that concludes our regular agenda items. Um, so we can move into miscellaneous new or old business. I think we talked a little bit about maybe talking and discussing a text amendment, but Jeff, is there, before we talk about that, is there anything else um, we need to address? Uh, no other items this evening, Chair. Okay, I guess one other thing before we talk about that, I wanted to say was uh, Commissioner Carpenter, um, and Commissioner Willie talked a little bit about the solar amendments, I think, early on. And I just wanted to extend my congratulations to the members of the ad hoc committee that worked. I mean, I you probably can't quantify the number of hours meetings you guys had. I mean, I appreciate the work you guys put into that. Um, and congratulations for, for the hard work that obviously was approved by um, the county commission and we voted on it but i mean we can't lie by saying that we did as a body anything <laughs> anything close to what you all did um and on that topic i think uh you, you know the the ad hoc committee continues to exist and my thought would be to keep it in sort of in force so to speak at least until the resolution has been voted on just in, just to account for any anything that may happen if that's if that's okay with with you all um, and that may have some some dependence on what the presiding uh, member is thinking about that but I'd be curious to know if, if there's any objections to that um, course of action no that was our thought after the county commission meeting it'd be safe we'll revisit this next month it should be finalized by then and then we can dissolve yes. <laughs> And I hope you guys are proud of the work you did because really monumental. I'm just going to add Karen and I um, 
we're privileged to be invited to participate in an environmental studies class where their year-end project was to divide up into stakeholder groups and argue different positions about an industrial scale mm -hmm. solar project using all of our source material. <laughs> so it was, it was a lot of fun and they did a great job. <clears throat> was that through KU? Yes. Very cool. Um, <clears throat> so that leaves the only thing um, remaining to visit about um, doing a text amendment, I think, for uh, short-term rental standards in the county um, zoning regulations. <laughs> uh, does anybody, I mean, do we need to make a motion for that, Jeff? Do we need to have a discussion? Uh, I think we've, we've had a pretty good discussion there. It would need a motion and require a vote from the body if that is the desire. Okay. Uh, we could have more discussion, I guess, or is there anybody that wants to make a motion to initiate a text amendment to, well, I guess I would leave it to the whoever makes the motion what they want it to be. I'll make a motion. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Um, I move that the Planning Commission authorize the uh, uh, Zoning Code staff and planning staff to uh, initiate a text amendment to uh, establish regulations for short-term rentals in the county. Second. Thank you. We have a motion um, to initiate that text amendment and uh, seconded from Commissioner Williams, seconded from Commissioner Carpenter. Any other comments before we vote on that motion? None, seeing none, can we um, have the roll, Jeff? Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrow? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes six to zero. Very good. Um, that concludes our agenda tonight. I hope everyone has taken a vacation day on Thursday because um, we'll see you Wednesday and it'll probably be a late night. Have a good one. Good night. Good night.